Welcome to the Dead Format, episode 95. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined tonight by 25264 Tom Smiley, and we're here to talk about Legacy. No longer 25264. I don't know. I don't know if we want to start off with this, but like, I caught some feelings today. I I just wanted to let everybody know. I was scrolling back through my Planeswalker points and going through like the different times in my life and remembering back to different matches and people I played. And I got a few Facebook messages from friends with like clippings of the results from a match that we played 20 years ago. It was it was a crazy day. That's brutal, man. Yeah, it, it honestly, the announcement was maybe like six hours ago or so, and we we didn't have any sort of preparation for this. I don't think any of us expected this, and we were gonna do we we're gonna have kind of a kind of a normalish episode tonight. But I felt like this announcement that that we're getting rid of the DCI number, Planeswalker points, etc. This is like an epic shift, right? This is like a the end of an era sort of announcement, and I felt like this this required one of our. I'm gonna call it an SKF episode, after the uh, the exchange traded fund for Sky is falling, the triple short. We got we got Nate Golia on the eloquent. Nate Golia, who's uh-huh. now making his fourth or fifth appearance on this podcast. It's probably fourth. It would have been the Jerry episode. Well, not the Jerry episode, the Jerry and Pat, like, um, what's the word, what's the word, the debate episode, yeah, and then with Dave, and then, with Phil, and then Phil and I were on, for one of the other SKF episodes when Tom was, like, at grad school or something. Exactly. Oh, Tom wasn't on that one, okay. So, basically, what, uh, when I was setting up this call, I was, like, looking for the to press the Nate and Tom button that I was sure must exist, and it didn't exist. I, I didn't realize it's the first time the three of us have recorded just just the three of us. Oh, I thought we I thought we had. I Me thought too. I recorded with Phil too. I could well, be you, wrong. Maybe yeah, my yeah, memory is shot. You did record with Phil. I feel like there uh, the Dave Dave Firth Bard one. Yeah, I was not was, on that one. That was up. Yeah. Okay. Yep. My bad. But the, who better to handle a sky is falling episode? Than a lifelong Buffalo Bills fan. Yeah, <laughs> guy is always falling. <laughs> oh, actually, Nate. So you and I actually have the same first memory of the outside world, like the world at large. I'll say. Because of Super Bowl twenty-five. Yeah. Scott Norwood. Yeah, it's actually kind of funny. Like, so I when I lived in New York, I had this friend. We, you know, worked together, and then once we were hanging out before I had kids, this is like you know, 12, 13 years ago, maybe now. And once we were hanging out at his apartment, drinking beer and watching Kids in the Hall, and <laughs> and like one of the kids in the hall came out wearing a Super Bowl twenty five hat, and he went like, "Yes," and I went, "Oh," and I, we both looked at each other like, "Huh?" I never thought of that from the other person's perspective before. That's funny, man. Yeah, that was uh, my mom's side of the family are all Giants fans, so they were celebrating, and I apparently it made enough of an impression upon me to. Uh, scar my memory for life but it is it is interesting that it is one of the first events i can really remember i had just moved to rochester that year from new york and like i always say like if my family had like waited one more year to move i probably would have just been a giants fan and <laughs> my life would be a lot different because i would have been like fine like finding a team to follow and they were doing great and everything yeah. 
But, uh, yeah. Well, Tom's first memory is actually a Super Bowl, too, right? I definitely, it wasn't my first memory, but I remember the Patriots-Bears Super Bowl for sure. Yeah, that's pretty wild, man. Well, I'm old. I'm old. Yeah, my first memory is technically touching the oven, but, like, my first memory of, like, the world at large is the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, I remember, like, uh, nap time in kindergarten, and, like, my parents sent me with, a with like, a rug instead of a sleeping bag like only the kids did. <laughs> So I just had this rug that was like had fringe on it, and my dad had written Golia on the bottom of it in Sharpie. I just had to sleep on this on the tile. And everyone else's parents had sent. <laughs> I mean, I remember that. That's yeah. brutal. All right. Well, you know, you 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 obviously turned out none the lesser for that experience. I hope, and for being a Bills fan. Theoretically. But, yeah, theoretically. So, yeah, I just wanted to real quick shout out the Legacy Pit. They were generous enough to have me on on Saturday night as a guest to the pit, the virtual pit, as it were, because everybody was dialed in remote with the exception of Travis, who is, you know, is hosting. He is the pit master. He is the pit master, correct. And it was a blast, man. I, uh... It really motivated me also to get more involved with the community, I guess, like the pit community, you know, follow who's who's on there and stuff, because uh, they've had some great guests recently. They did a great job hosting. I played uh, uh, Dead Guy Ale. We played a Dead Guy Ale mirror to start, and then I, I brought out Bant Ephemerate and Grixis Delvert. We had some really fun games. I got a little bit too drunk. And they were doing like one sub, one shot. And by the end of it, I was actually saved by my own drunkenness because I was too drunk to realize that there were new subs and I thought that I already drank for the subs. So they were trying to like explain it to me and I just wasn't having it. So yeah. Bro, you, the shot per sub got, the ratio got absolutely wrecked when you just poured like a half a mug of yeah. Jameson and crushed it in front of everybody um i guess it really puts our drinking in perspective not in like a good way yeah i actually got the results from my blood test back <laughs> and i'm not in the greatest of shape but you know i'll live i actually got the uh, antibody test today did you i don't get the results till wednesday but was it a finger stick uh no they took a decent grip they took maybe you know a little quarter pint something like that okay is that because uh, they're testing, like, people who live with people who work at the hospital? Or was it something that you just did on your own? Uh, you had to have some sort of reason to get tested. Uh, my reason was, yeah, I, I just said, you know, my wife. I got you. So, yeah, it was, uh, you know, not too, uh, not too invasive or anything. But I'm looking forward to seeing the results. I do you think that you have the antibodies if you had a if you had a pet? Um I would be interested to see. I don't think I do, but I definitely really? remember having some like similar symptoms to a mi like the mild cases that they've talked about. Yeah. So I uh I'm obviously not sure, but I do want to get a test as soon as I can. I would put myself at like 85 and I would have said like 95 last week, but I've seen some other friends get results who I would have also thought, you know, were pretty high and they were actually negative. So I'm thinking now maybe it's like 85 to 90%. Okay. 
Well, we'll see. We'll find out next week. So, yeah, bro, what have you been up to? Uh, I've been... My video game grind is is coming to a close. I um I think that I'm going to hit the rank that I need to hit on Tuesday, so I'll have a lot more free time. Um, but really, today, I just spent... I spent, like, an hour going through my Planeswalker Points history and seeing if, like, Massachusetts had a lifetime Planeswalker Point tournament. I'd squeak into top 64. Oh, nice, dude. I was actually yep. looking at that, too, uh, because somebody posted the Rhode Island top 20. Yeah. Well, somebody posted New York, and it was, like, fucking ringer, ringer, ringer. Somebody posted Rhode Island, and I was like, I've heard of one person on here. It was like, nobody, really. Yeah, Massachusetts is kind of stacked. It really is, right? And I was just thinking how shitty it was that I was always playing in states where there was, like, ringer, ringer, ringer. Yeah, I I remember there were some people who were really trying to qualify for the Pro Tour back when PTQs were single shot. And yeah. a group of them flew to, like, a PTQ in North Dakota. Not yeah. not even yep. kidding, just because, because of that competition difference that you were talking about. Yeah. But... I, I scrolled back all the way to, like, the beginning of my recorded matches. And a lot of that data, it, like, it's already gone. You don't see people's names unless they signed up for one of the new yep. um, Wizards accounts. And back when it was, when you had an ELO, you could see, like, your tournament-to-tournament gain and loss, like, match-per-match, match and everybody's name was there. But growing through and looking at, like when I was playing, where I was playing, and like the different times of my life that I was playing was just like kind of a kind of a trip today. Yeah, like I remember that there was this quote unquote super soft uh PTQ that I was supposed to go to. It was like twenty four player cap. This isn't like I don't know, twenty fifteen maybe. And it was like gonna be the super soft PTQ. My friends like, oh dude, you should definitely go, you know, and it was uh it was only 24 players, but the 24 players included, uh, fuck, I'm going to botch all the names, but it was like Keith Rong, yep. uh, Tien Nguyen, uh, Adam Snook, uh, that dude, what's his Matt, name? Matt Costa. Matt Costa, thank yeah. you. The other uh, dude they hang out with who's arguably the best of all of them. Uh, Dave. Dave fuck. Shields, thank Dave you. Dave Shields, yep. The yep. five of, Yeah. And then Zach Turgeon and <laughs> and the kid who had just gone thirteen and two at the GP the week before, who I didn't know his name, but he was happened to be in Boston that day. It's just like God, you got to be fucking kidding me, bro. Yeah, the uh the the quality of players in the Boston tournaments, like from even from the beginning, Boston Boston and New York were two of the hotspots, is uh is just insane, yeah. absolutely insane. And Nate it's crazy how long people have like stuck around like i look back to my matches in like 96 97 98 and i still see people who are around playing today it's 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 amazing it's amazing i heard what you were saying though when i came back about like you know going back in time and seeing all the old names and what's interesting is that i've played magic now since i came back for like almost twice as long as i did in my original stint you know mm-hmm and I can always time it because I went back to the to the games for the first time right after my son was born because I had like 
found out that there was like a game store opening in Brooklyn and it was like my day off with the newborn from the newborn. So I got to like, they went and checked it out and play like a commander release. Um, so that was like 2011, you know, eight and a half, almost nine years ago. And like, even, you know, seeing some of the people think about people who stuck around since then, you know, obviously you guys and, you know, Zach and Phil and people that I know, but even people go back farther than that by a decade in legacy is crazy. And then like people are posting their, histories from like 1996 and you see some of the same names or names that you remember that's it really it, it's interesting it tells you like the history and everything right like of just people sticking around yeah it is it is awesome like to which, have that as a resource right which is a point i want to like hit when we talk about this more but i don't know where you guys were in the conversation oh no i was, I was just saying thanks to the legacy pip you know it was awesome being there definitely thanks to everybody who provided raids i know dude just gave a raid there was some other people there uh rich I and rated, pat i raided the legacy pit with three viewers as i just i just finished my stream and then i oh, watched sick. and you were getting your ass kicked by, <laughs> by was it by maverick no it was like you were playing band ephemerate oh i was playing against elves Oh, against elves. Yeah, that was it. I was like, I wanted to say, but here's the funny thing. I went to watch Pat when he was on too, and he was getting his ass kicked. And it was just like this one-sided game. He had like a young pyromancer, and the other guy had an Uro. <laughs> it was just like yeah. this game sucks. <laughs> Felt so bad. Now they've asked me to come on the Legacy Pit, nice. and the problem is I one don't have a lot of cards that are recent, and two like cannot figure out what to build. But I'm, I promised him I would come up with some stuff and tell him as soon as I'm ready. So I'm hoping to do that myself, either right before or right after we this gets out. But nice. Well, Tom, you got to do it too, bro. I do. I need to figure out when uh, when my schedule is going to work out this week. But I'm in the same boat because a lot of the newer cards, um, I, I just never bought, and I can put a lot of stuff together. But this is like like 2017 legacy. So I'm gonna be. Uh, at a pretty pretty big disadvantage. I mean, it's funny. I have five Underworld Breaches because I bought four because <laughs> they were two bucks. I was like, this card is stupid, and I turned out to be right. And then I bought a single pack of Theros Beyond Death because I was at Walgreens getting, like, supplies on, like, a supply run, right? So I had, like, you know, the crappiest toilet paper and, like, a bag <laughs> of nuts. I forgot. I oh, my wife needed allergy medication. That's why I got in the first place. And I saw one pack, and I was like, what What the hell? Why not? Maybe I'll get an Uro. And I opened a fucking fifth Underworld page. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So now you have your vintage copy. And yeah, your... now I have my vintage copy and my four Pioneer copies. Perfect. <laughs> Whatever format it's good in. But, oh, I guess vintage still goes a 4 of, so. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Nate, obviously, you're an elder statesman. So, I mentioned Tom's DCI. You know, he's the – his – it's two, uh, 25264, very low. I'm at 785855. So I'm in the 7000s. That's my Jean Valjean, 785855. Nate, what do you got? Mine's 92710915. It's eight digits. Ah, oh, boo. But I think it's from, um, like, I played a draft in like 2002 for the hell of it. And not my original DCI number because I couldn't uh, remember it at the time. Yeah. Right. So I'm, I'm sure I had, I'm sure I was issued one that was, I mean, I know I was issued one that was lower than that, but I still, like an eight digit DCI number, I still kind of took that. It was still pretty short on yeah. the, uh, 
It was short enough to be noticeable, which was helpful on like the pairings board. Yeah, for so, sure. Yeah. Um, I remember having the original like plastic card that they gave me because I signed up for one of the special memberships. And I remember the day that it like finally fell apart in my <laughs> wallet because it had been in my wallet for like a good 10 or 15 years before it just went kaput. Brutal. Yeah, my mom actually texted me this week with a picture of a box of magic cards that she found when she was uh, moving. She's like moving up to a different apartment. And I think that my bazaar might be in there, bro. Oh, wow. Good for you. And I'm hoping my DCI card, too, because those are two things I couldn't find when I found my old cards. <laughs> yeah, uh, mine's somewhere. I don't know. It's lost to history. My and parents that's... threw out all of my cards that I left there when I when I moved oh, out, no. when I wasn't playing, and oof. Oh, that's I, brutal, yeah, I had sold a bunch of my cards when I moved to New York from Rochester after college because I was like, well, these are worth some money. And then I carried the rest of the collection around for like three apartments before my wife was like, gotta get rid of this. So I like took it like a rough inventory of what was in it, came up with a price, and you know, it was like a couple hundred bucks. I had sold a bunch of duels and stuff earlier. Uh, for way less than they were worth. Uh, the only box I have from my original collection is a box I made out of metal in shop class in seventh grade. It's <laughs> full. I, I kept basic lands in it. Uh, and so it's like this hand-welded box that I kept basic lands in, and that's at my parents' house. And every time I go home, they ask if I'm taking it back, and I say, no, you can do whatever you want with it. I already pulled all, like, the, you know, really remarkable lands out of it and everything. Like, I pulled out all my, like you know, revised unlimited basics. I just happen to like those. Um, that's what I have. And I pulled out a bunch of like, I have these like foil invasion basics that I kind yeah. of just carry around because they were in the box because I bought a box of invasion with my Burger King paycheck once. And, but that's the thing, like we're going to, I mean, we're talking about memories and that's, it's, that's what it is, you know, like, yes, it's like, I got made this box in shop class in seventh grade to hold cards, you know, like, they were like, you have to make a box. I'm like, what dimensions would you like to make the box? And I said, well, I pulled out one of my cards from my backpack, and I was like, it's this by this, you know? I mean, we all had them. We all had them because we were in the same shop class in my middle school, like, playgroup. <laughs> oh, so we sure. all had these boxes, and, you know, we all still have them because we had a sheet metal. It was, like, to use the spot welder. That was our lesson. Um, but um, I, 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 don't, like, I don't really care either way about my DCI number or like looking up my mediocre match history at major events. But I think that for a lot of us, it's more like, man, it's the memory that you go back and you see those memories and it triggers those good memories of the game with so much of the game now is just like agonizing, you know, the sky <laughs> is falling stuff. And I don't, and I'm not mean, I don't mean that to be like overdramatic or like it, it's what I mean is like, more people than ever, and it wasn't even, it was before this, were like, man, I don't know if I can do this anymore, yeah. Yeah. you know? And I always say, like, you know, my feeling on that has always been like, you know what, I'll always have the cards for, like, the bottle formats, for, like, your old school, middle school stuff, and yeah. I'm fine with that if I play a few times a year in paper. And I can, but I, for some people who, like, you know, be some for some really enjoyment is keeping up, and not even that it's in the, the enjoyment isn't keeping up, but like, you know, marrying old cards and new cards. I can do that a lot on Magic Online now. You know, that's where I get that fix if I need to, you know, like book burning in Croxa. 
<laughs> you know, I got that out of my system. Played five, played a few matches on Match Online. I got that out of my system, but it was sweet. I mean, it wasn't. I, I lost a lot of games, but like, um, you know, I think that all these little things that chip away at the memory aspect, at the good memory aspect of the game. I don't know. It's it's. Well, this one seems particularly pernicious, right? Because there's an aspect of this, and I guess we should probably read the announcement first. Uh, Technically, what Wizards said was, adapting our technology to best serve a modern framework means some software and services must change. On May 27, 2020, we'll be sunsetting Planeswalker points and removing access to the Planeswalker portal. Uh, Planeswalker points, including login using your DCI number, will be available until May 27th, and basically that's all for the, the whole system. They're not backing it up. They're not providing access to it. They're not letting you export your record. If You can technically get around it if you want, but it's a lot of work. So basically this seems particularly pernicious because there's nothing to gain from it so much as like this is explicitly a break from the past, right? They're not saying like, to add this new functionality. I mean, there's the implied linking of your arena account to the the name that you'll be playing with in store now, so they can potentially do like some sort of offers with arena. But if you're not playing arena, especially, there's no gain from this, right? It's 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 just burning the past, as far as I can tell. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, that... I I oh, think the, the arena the arena part is the big thing, right? Like I um. I actually got to go to Wizards of the Coast because the original developer of Planeswalker Points was was one of the my friends who was a Magic player from Maine, and uh, and they're not with the company anymore. But just what they planned on doing with Planeswalker Points at the beginning, from my conversations with him, and what actually ended up happening with it, just like I don't think it was where re- people really wanted it to be. But now all of their decisions that they're making are, are based off of Arena. And I think that we've known that for a while, but man, this is just like, it's a kick in the feels because all of us older players, that DCI number was like a badge, right? People had it memorized. There were a lot of people that had that memorized and had to look up their social security number. You walk into a store and they ask you for your DCI number and it's just like right off the top of your head, get entered into the system and, and play some magic and not, not having access to that anymore is just... I don't know. It's the end of an era and we're we're not we say this so much. We're not in that market that Wizards is really trying to pull anymore. Yeah, but also there's a bit of revisionist history going on because you know, you say that this is obviously we've known for a while this is the direction that they're going with Arena and yes, we have, you and I, but this has been something we've been debating with other people for a long time, right? Like this, this sort of oh, arena is just going to replace duels. That was something that we heard. Like I'm, I'm trying to remember back when we started the podcast. Like I was looking at for the other SKF episodes. Yep. And there were there were people saying, yeah, arena is just going to replace duels. It's not going to be serious. There, you know, every step of the way, there's always these naysayers. Like it's not as bad as you think it is, or you know, things will things will be the same as they were before. Uh, there's there's nobody really this time saying there's some benefit to this right uh, other than i guess like a, a strict arena player might say that but i feel like at this point it's undeniable right that, that anybody who was doubting in the past what the future was is, is now clear like clear as day right to me the big question is 
really about what it's it really is just this like gutting of the paper magic history right magic was this paper game now that's going away that's what planeswalker points being just like destroyed as much as anything can be destroyed in the digital era represents and you know i have always said like you know yes there's like there's there's business reasons to not have a paper game there's just reasons to have a computer game but what has made magic unique it, and why it's lasted 25 years has been a lot of the strength of it having history and it having the paper game. And absent that, you're just another computer game, right? You're just another yeah. computer game. And it's not necessarily the best one. Not necessarily the best one. Not the, doesn't mean the worst one or anything like that. I'm just saying like, you're just another computer game. And I, I, when they when they talk about what they you know what what the strengths of the games are they often say that we have this engaged audience we have this like history we've got all this stuff but this this is the kind of decision that makes you question how sincere they really take that and sure they're happy to offer a comment when a black lotus sells for thirty thousand dollars and someone calls Wizards of the coast or something or you know whatever yeah. it is you know yeah. they're happy to do that but like. You know, they don't want to, but they also, like, really want to run away from the past at times. This is one of those situations where that is. So if, if you're going to be really conspiratorial and say, not you specifically, but, the, you know, if one was to be like, well, this is just a step in ending paper magic, I would have to sort of agree with that person. Like, yeah, you're just completely re-architecting your game around Arena, and you're betting that your engaged audience of 25-plus years is going to follow you there in numbers that will make the shift worth it. Yeah, and that's that's their bet. That's not. I, I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm not saying it's that that game stores are sustainable businesses. I think no. I know they certainly aren't. All that stuff. I'm not commenting on what that. I'm just saying that's the bet they're making. And the question is whether or not it's going to work out for them. Yeah. Well, how about this conspiracy? What do you think about the power creep going on right now? Because. I've heard multiple people say this, and I I just want to say real quickly that I don't necessarily subscribe to this, but the theory that they're actually trying to wreck the Eternal formats. I don't think they're trying to wreck the Eternal formats. I think that they're trying to make cards that will that will be played in those formats to sell more cards. Agreed, 100%. I, so I, I absolutely don't think they're like, all right, let's crush Legacy and Vintage. But I do really think that they're taking the power levels of some of these cards and saying, all right, we want them played because we want those people to buy our new cards. And I don't think that they have the tools and the resources to balance it for those formats because they don't test them. They've said that they don't test those cards in those formats. So in trying to make sure you have a card that has a power level to see play there, but then not testing it, you're really sort of like recklessly playing with the format and it does sell a few more cards, but it's not, it's not what I want as a player. They've taken a very BIG approach, I would say, which is, you know, if you're going to blast squeeze first, ask questions last where they'll just ban the card if it's too powerful. Right. I, I think that that's sort of their, their look on developing for these formats is, oh, we can just ban it. Uh, I honestly, I, I don't think they think for a second, other than this card might be cool in Legacy or this card might be good in Vintage. I don't think they have people who play the formats on the design and development team at a high at like any amount in any amount of numbers. 
because anyone who did would have said you can't print underworld breach but they but they do like adam prozak is on the development team right he's one guy Ta- how many though That's right but point. like one one person one person who's experienced enough with the format to say like hey you know what like maybe don't do this or right? have a that, plan if you right yeah. I I just I can't the people who they have on the development team are very good magic players who are definitely experienced in many formats. So I I don't I don't buy the fact that they don't know. I think that they definitely know. So they just want to make sure that the card is powerful enough to see play. They might not know exactly how bad the card is going to make the format, but they know. I didn't remember. I, I did listen to both your review episode and your "We Were Super Wrong" episode. Oh, nice! And I, I, unfortunately, my my mind is 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 breaking me now. Did you guys use the words "Mishra's Bobble" at all when you were talking about no. Chris? No, yeah. absolutely not. One thing that I said, I, I think I said in passing, was like, "It's not like I'm going to play Mishra's Bobble in my double uh-huh. deck." <laughs> like, and that was about that wasn't even about Lurus. It was about Sprite Dragon. Um, and then of course, like here, here we are. Right. And I don't think even like, I know they're great. I know they have good players, solid players, great players to an extent on the development team. But like, who thought of that when you looked at Luris, like, well, I could put this in my Delver deck because I could play Mistress Bobble in my Delver deck because if I have this, it's going to push it. It's going to, it's going to make it a thing. I, I don't, I just don't, I don't think you can really foresee that. I don't think they try all that hard to do it. And well, it's probably nice, like Modern Horizons, I almost said Modern Masters, I have to slow myself down, was an explicit attempt to make cards for those formats. And I would say that uh, there was obvious a couple were going to be too pushed. And, you know, Renatic is banned. And uh, Hogak is banned in Modern. Like, that's, a, that's, not, that's not so bad. It's not a terrible job, you know? Um, it's, it's, it's structural changes to the base game or to, you know, when they really take big cuts... Because I think Modern Horizons was like, let's let's design cards that legacy players would want. There was a lot of nostalgia in the set. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of things where it's like, oh, we didn't you know, we tried this, and they, they did it, right? But when they do things like, again, going back to War of the Spark, the last time I saw you, Ian, was Grand Prix Niagara Falls. And I remember that for a lot of reasons. I remember the, the mood in the room for a lot of reasons. One was that people yeah. were having a good time at the time playing Legacy. But there was just like, I think Teferi had been spoiled. And Karn, we like, uh, Karn was the one that I was thinking about that weekend. Was like, yeah, a couple of things had been spoiled, and we were all like, yeah, huh, that doesn't sound good. And, yeah. and I had to think, so what happened? You had these three mana planeswalkers with static abilities, and all of a sudden, like, yep, that is, that's, that just changed everything about the game in all formats forever. Maybe not standard once it rotates out, but it certainly changed standard at the time. And then you go to Throne of Eldraine, it's like, the, the first thing that gets spoiled is Oko, right? And we don't, at the time, we were like, what the hell is a food token? I mean, how good could that be? Well, I mean, I was wrong about it. I'm not, I'm not saying I was right or anything at the time. I thought it was, I thought it was like, I'm like, yeah, whatever. So it's three mana, you know, gain, or five mana, gain three life. Your opponent attacks it and kills it with a Gurmag Angler. I didn't, you know, think about it either. And then this, the companion is another functional shift to how the game is played that you cannot possibly just like figure out how it's going to work in a card pool of 20,000 cards. I agree, but I will say that Oko, the the rate that it's pushed at, made it a complete non-starter, like immediately banned in standard, right? Like well, was- they, I thought that they had they they had said that when they were testing it, 
and this is I can't remember where I read this, but it's from the internet, and it could be wrong. But that they never tested turning one of their opponent's cards into an elk. So in the whole development process, that whole that whole idea behind that card was they were using it on their own stuff. And I will try to find the source for where I read that, but I mean that. Uh, well, I don't know you, what I want to say after that. I read <laughs> something similar that it was a zero instead of a, a plus one. So it wasn't growing quite as quickly. But, like, you know, they moved those dials, wh- whatever dials they might have moved after the testing process, for a reason. And it, if yep. it was already borderline too good and standard, like, you just made it better, right? Like, it, in my opinion, some aspect of this has to be the awareness that they need to sell packs, right? Maybe. I want to say one thing about that that whole – because I, I went a big rant about it. That was one of the things I brought up was, like, they're just not careful, right? They're not very careful in general. And I used all standard examples. I used – we didn't cast to catch the Healy Cat. Like, I don't know, buddy. Like, you got to yeah. just – you got to do a search for what's in standard with the cards and then, like, check for weird interactions. That seems like it's your job, you know? Like, we didn't catch the Healy Cat. We didn't Oko our opponent's stuff. Okay, you know, one of the reasons they might not have Oko with their opponent's stuff is that if they test standard and limited, how good is Okoing your opponent's stuff ever? You know, it's probably not as good. Is it a couple lot? Well, I mean, I guess it came up more in standard. I was thinking about, like, limited. Like, you know, are you going to, like, the way limited works. I mean, I don't, you guys play a lot more limited than I do, but I, the way I, was, way I was sort of, it was actually Tom who said that Oka was probably deemed smarter because people tend to have wider boards and standard and limited and could attack it down because they weren't thinking of Oka-ing their stuff and making those wider boards not functional for whatever reason. Right. Um, that was definitely Tom in, in the episode with Phil who said that. Well, we had me thinking about it. So, like, but they're just not they're just not very careful, and they're putting out a lot of product, a lot of product, like a yeah. ton. How much does it worry you that their product pipeline is like pretty much set for the next few years? And these mistakes, these things that have been happening, like haven't slowed down at all. Like when, when did the development cycle for next year's set get locked in? And is this the world we're living in until 2022? That, that, that worries me. I mean, I didn't think Theros Beyond Death was that egregious. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe I'm in the minority. Underworld Breach was an egregious card, but it was one card. It wasn't like a whole mechanic, and it was instantly recognized as such and removed. But hasn't, hasn't the format been like significantly changed to the point where people are like, wow, this is just broken in every set for the last four or five sets yeah I, I was, I, I, my, my <laughs> point i was gonna finish was that like but then icoria came out and i'm like oh this is just all bad this is just all a nightmare like the companions are just nightmarish as a concept because yeah you sit so you go to build it's when you go to build a deck that you feel it right like fuck do i just have to do this man i can't wait till we get into the challenge results because there's like, <laughs> kind of like yeah, I mean, this sounds like on paper, this sounds worse than like what you would have done with these cards before. But I guess you got a free eight card, so it's all good. That's the like that's just like when you make when you're making a deck, you're like, do I have to play a companion? Do I is do I warp my deck to play a companion like on purpose? Like Yorion is like this eighty card deck, like it seems fine, 
You know? So I actually love Yorian as a concept. I wish that it, it was the only companion or whatever, because you could make like you know a rule for one card, right? Like yeah, I, but I really like the the trade off there, but it's just like the whole cycle, right? Yeah. So Dave Dave Long on Twitter had said that every time he sits down against somebody that doesn't have a companion, he feels that as low as opponent mauled the five, and. You know how we had we had Jason Jason all on to talk about Commander, and I, I get the idea behind companions and constructed, but is it is that was this just an attempt to like Commanderify the other constructed formats? Well, it feels that way, doesn't it? Like it it reminds me of. Do you remember Vanguard? Yes, I think that was the name yeah. of it. It was like way back in like Tempest Block. They came out with these cards that had. Like deck building constrictions and starting or like special ability, yeah, abilities and starting life total and card hand size. It was like an emblem. It was like an emblem. Yes, starting life and starting cards. There was like Squee and there was Sisse and Gerard. There was one that like made all your mana produce all five colors. Karn was one. Yeah, it'd be like hand size plus one, starting life minus five, like shit like that. Yep. Um, and I I like the con. I really like the concept. Like. I, I like what they tried to do, but the fact that it made its way to like people are people are complaining about vintage because of these cards. I, I don't think that I, I just I I'm not sure what they were what they were going for in the older formats with that. Yeah. Well, I have there was a someone made a graph of all the commanders and their percentage of play and percentage of decks that they're in. Uh, I saw Brian Koval posted it earlier, going from standard Pioneer, Modern, Legacy, Vintage, the five major constructed formats. And my only command, the only commander I would truly say I would have a complaint about is Lurus. Like it's it's the second most played com- companion in Sassit Commander, like at five times in my yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, it's the second most played companion in standard, and then it's by far the first in every other constructed format, right? And I looked at like the Pioneer, I was like, well, what Pioneer? Because Brian was like, well, it's Mistress Bobble starts being legal in modern. Okay. So I looked at it and I'm like, well, it's in Pioneer. And I'll, you know what? It, it's like a black-white enchantments deck. Where oh, you just SRAM like, deck? Yeah, it's like a SRAM deck. And oh. like, yeah, like, that doesn't sound really good, but is how good is any deck when you can, like, just have an eighth card in your hand? Like, it just makes every deck. It's cool that, it's cool that that's the deck and not just, like, the best Pioneer deck got better. Like in a way, the Sram deck was already pretty good, bro. Was it? I didn't play Pioneer in a while. Yeah. Um, I played Feather for like five leagues in a row. I couldn't get enough of it, and I stopped playing Pioneer. But anyway, like, was like the good version of Feather. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks. (laughs) Um, So like, but anyway, it's like I think Lurus from a design perspective is the only one that's like a clear mistake. I think the other ones are fairly cool. Even like Zerda and uh, Gyruda, the the combo ones, like that's still pretty all in and. It's not like something like that. It's great. It's like it, it, it's more of like an enabling thing. Like infinite mana, you know, in the Zerta deck is like infinite mana has been around forever, but it's always a three card combo. You know, so at least you can only get one card for the three cards in your in your opening hand all the time, right? And the Gyruda deck is a straight up glass cannon that probably will you know have some sort of you know good thing to beat it. But it's just like Lurus just making just going again into all the good stuff decks just like sucks you know <laughs> it's just it's just like another it's another thing that you that you feel like you have to show up with so what do you just... think bro do you think that they're gonna ban loris or do you think that they'll they'll take a broader stroke 
Well, when I first, when I at first, I thought they were going to do something about the companion mechanic at all. I thought I thought that maybe it was going to be too poisonous across formats. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said it's an unprecedented it's an unprecedented idea, so it's going to have an unprecedented solution. Now I just think they'll ban Lurus and Legacy Advantage and maybe Modern Pioneer. And maybe they'll ban Karuga if it's too good in uh, Standard. That's the one where you can only have um, things of three mana or greater. Yeah. And then you draw a card, draw all those when it comes into play in Standard's a slower format where you make three drops all the time. Yeah. And all the three drops in Printer Haymakers. So, um, <laughs> excuse me. So, But, like, I don't think the other ones are really that bad, but I don't think the design space... But to me, I don't think the design space is ever safe. I'd rather not have them say, like, okay, well, we screwed up on one out of ten. We banned it everywhere. That was relevant. Let's make another round of commanders. Like, I don't want to go through that. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that's nightmarish, right? That that they keep doing that? Because that just fucks the whole game. Yeah, I was like, I'm like, it's like someone's got to break, like, a five other, like, four or five other commanders across the four maps. There's got to be some other broken... Just yeah. nonsense. <laughs> so we need them so that we can get the mechanic. Um, but... Yeah, it's crazy, bro. And you know, one thing they did do in this set that I have to respect a little bit is they put Draneth Magistrate in the set, which a lot of times uh, I remember for a while people used to complain that like you'd have the Planeswalker set with no Revoker or Pithing Needle or whatever. Like the easy answer would be in the next set rather than in that set. Yeah. So for like standard players, there'd be, you know, this set comes out and then the standard is dominated by its cards and then they print the answer in the next set and it's dominated by the new cards. Like it was this sort of way of rotating the the threats. But they actually did print a very good hate card for companions, which is the magistrate. Mm -hmm. They didn't push it enough for, even though we did see it show up, it it won the uh, challenge this weekend as a one of in the sideboard. As Tom pointed out in our set review, you have to play a two-mana one in your deck, right? Yeah, I, I played it as my hate bear just because in a in a deck I was working on just because it hit companions. And yeah. I was like, alright, it also hits pass and flame. I knew it didn't hit other things, like it wasn't as good. I, I still needed like graveyard hate for right. you know reanimator and stuff. But it's it's there and it's it's a it's a perfectly serviceable hate bear. Um but it's like actually is that card in Throne of Eldraine that like taxes? Maybe I forget which if it's Throne or or Theros Beyond Death. I like, love construction. Where it taxes, yeah, the Planeswalker activations by one. Yeah. <laughs> okay, buddy. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> awesome work. It's an X one. Like yeah. even if like like imagine like is this ever gonna stop a Liliana the last up? No. Like <laughs> that's not even like the most pushed Planeswalker. It's just so funny. At least like a one three doesn't just like you know get get screwed by something but yeah i mean it, it, it all it all just it, it and um, you know of course like we have a, a a situation globally we have a crisis that we're all living in and that does even further like sort of unsettle the way you feel about everything especially like your favorite game like we're talking about selling packs like I don't know, man. Like, who's gonna buy a pack anytime soon? Who's gonna go to sit in a draft with eight people on the table? Like, you know, maybe that, maybe that, all that stuff could accelerate a move to digital. I mean, this set was supposed to have come out already, like two weeks ago or something, right? Like, or at least a week ago, maybe. I don't even know when it does come out, technically. I thought stores had the product, and they were allowed to like sell it, like sell it to people to bring home. 
I could be wrong about that. I don't think so, because people are ordering these cards from Japan because they have them and we don't. Okay. That's well, what I'm, I heard. I'm definitely wrong then. That's what I heard too, but then I was asking around and no nobody had them, so what I'm oh, hearing my, now my is... My friend just got a Yorion in the mail today. He sent a picture of to our... English or... or... It's, it's Oh, good question. I thought it was English. Let me check. I don't think he would buy a Japanese card, so I would imagine it's English. Okay. But I, will, I will double check that. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I'm just saying that it's, it's funny to even think about all that, right? Like, it's almost like, oh, great, now we don't have to try and sell packs because uh, soon we won't be making any. Yeah, this is in English. Yeah. This is a foil. It's a foil Yorion because you only need one and you don't want to forget it. He doesn't play foils at all. Like, I've never seen this guy play foil. Interesting. Shocky. Yeah. I mean, it does fit the Rich Shea requirement of not being in your main deck, right? Yeah, right. For playing foils. Rich Shea, Rich Shea would play a foil on the sideboard for that. Yeah. And if Rich if Rich will play one, then it's kosher. Yeah, man. So it, it's really, like you said, Nate, it's like, you know, we're compounding so many factors right now. There's so much sort of like a groundswell of negativity available, like, just on tap if you want to be bitching about stuff it's very easy but there's this underlying current and i, I don't want to like name people because not, none of this was really said in public but a lot of people that we've been talking to lately have just not been playing magic or you know are, are not interested in magic right now and there's there's this sort of big barrier to entry right now around companions, and I'm feeling it because I just sold that pearl, and one of my plans was to buy into a moto deck, but I don't want to do it right now because of the companions, because my deck will be so much different. You know, they they could get banned any day the the way that I feel. So it's like there's this sort of, you know, when you're looking at the legacy format, traditionally you have this continuity, and right now it's like we're looking at a fork in the road. So it makes you not want to buy in, right? It makes this this sort of incoming paradigm shift. That, that well, why would people be looking to buy in right now when really you can't be playing paper magic? That's like that's the biggest. No, I'm talking deterrence. about just buying into Moto, but I, I know that's oh, okay, my okay. example personally. I got you. But yep. yes, like there are the other factors that are actually kind of working in our favor, like you just mentioned. Nobody well, would be buying into paper right now, right? Well, I just I just was saying to you guys like about trying to come up with a deck for the, to play on the Legacy Pit. Like, I don't know, man. What do I want to play? Do I want to play something I think will be fun, but it'll just get destroyed by you know their like stock decks? Do I warn them like, hey, can you like you know can we maybe soften it up a little bit? I even talked to Travis like, do you want me to play companions? Like, he doesn't care if I proxy stuff out. But I was like, do we want to do this? Like, it seems like is it good content because we don't know if it's going to be around. Or they're just not enjoyable games to watch or play. Like it's just, it was the same thing. Like recently, in the past couple of days, I started goofing off more online and just like I built a uh, a deck that used one of the other new cards, Luca, that like minus twos to flip one of your mana dorks into an Emrakul if you build your deck right. Um, and I built like a deck around that and used Obosh the Prey Piercer as my companion. But like I, I wouldn't say I was taking it very seriously. And on top of that, like, for, like, a week before that, I would open up Moto, look at my decks I had made, think about potential making changes and renting the deck, and then being like, yeah, forget it. I'm just going to go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> I don't mean go to bed. I mean, like, watch four episodes of, like, you know, something in bed with my wife. But, like, 
you know, I'm just done. I'm not going to do this right now. And I definitely don't fault anyone for feeling that way. It feels like something's going to go sideways. Yeah, Hondi P, bro. Yeah. Exactly. And that's like, uh, like I said, I don't want to talk. It sucks because I want to say like what some people said. But, you know, a lot of people are saying that they feel as distant from the format as possible. And we, we just saw that the, the challenge, we have two challenges now. Uh, but the one on Saturday almost didn't fire. It fired at literally exactly 64 players. And yeah, I saw I saw the Twitter post of like, all right, we're short 15 people. We're short three people. The buy-in is equal to your payout. It's a free roll. Like, yeah. and they they hit exactly 64 with that that those last few spots basically just being free. Exactly. And that yeah. that's not. I mean, it it we do have two, and the one on Sunday did have 97 players, and that's what people are used to looking for the Legacy Challenge is Sunday. So. I'm not going to throw up like any, you know, serious flags over that, but it is pretty crazy, right? I agree. I, I do think the whole buy-in thing, though, with the deck rental services really being prominent now, yeah. it's less. Oh yeah. Uh, it's less of an issue for sure. Now I know it takes some time for you to like actually have enough tickets available to rent and, and all of that. And the monthly subscription fee is sort of out of some people's price ranges, but that really changed being able to play constructed on Moto a lot. Oh, definitely, man. It's crazy the impact it's having on the Moto economy too. That's like a whole nother story, but I don't know. What do you guys think about this? Uh, I saw it on the news today when I was waiting actually to get my antibody test. They had the just the news on and this this woman was on there saying we're never going back to normal people are never going to shake hands again people are always going to wear masks in the winter do you guys without getting like too political or anything like do you guys think that that's the way of the future and do you think that that's going to put a damper on paper magic in north america um i think that there's definitely like a not going back to normal component of what's about to happen and I don't. I think that's understandable. We've all been this, through this sort of like mass group trauma, right? And there's also, you know, there's going to be any sort of adjustment period. I was talking to a friend of mine who had actually told me, like, I'm not even bothering with magic for this reason. Like we were just talking about. He's one of the people who said, like, yeah, I just don't even bother. I don't care. I work on other stuff. Do other projects, right? But then um, in Texas, where I am, like, they're they're lifting restrictions. They're starting to, to loosen some restrictions on stuff. And I was like, hey, let's get, you know, we can get together if you want to do something. And he's like, yeah, my wife and I are still figuring out what we're comfortable with. And that's reasonable, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm totally, like, I think that's fine. Like, you don't want to catch it and, and then, like, be the person who restarts it, even if you don't feel yourself to be particularly at risk of complications. You don't want to be the vector. Um, but, like, there's there's a lot going on with regards to magic and that idea. There's the fact that you all need to sit around a table. There's the fact that stores need to have, need, need to be open for you to do that. Um, there's government uh, restrictions or government um, implications of, of like, are they gonna let you have as many people as it takes to run an FNM? I mean, Paragon used to get a hundred people on Friday nights sometimes. Jesus. Imagine, imagine most game stores, like most game stores aren't like Paragon where you have literally 20 people packed into a super small store right like oh paragon it's not, store it's, it's in utah paragon was huge yeah but it's in right utah. i'm saying not like paragon oh i see what you're saying okay i, yeah. I wanted to make it clear like they had a lot of space and they would sometimes pull it up 
Uh, but go ahead. Sorry, Henry, to catch you off. Oh, I so I think that we uh, people want to get back to normal. I think there are going to be some like major changes that um, that sort of come out of this. But I think maybe the handshaking thing at Magic tournaments is probably going to be all done. I think that people really do want to go back to the LGS and play, though. Um, I know that there are a lot of people that really like playing Magic online and playing Arena, but at least the circle that I'm that I'm in communication with really just wants to get out of their house and get back to going and doing something fun like that. But like, how silly um, is it to not be shaking hands, but to then be drafting where you literally touch every card and then pass it to everyone else, right? Oh, I mean, it's stupid, but people are stupid. And they're, I, I, they're still going to do it, right? <laughs> I, I think well, people will shake their hands, will wash their hands so. more, hopefully. And hopefully game stores will be in locations that are good. I, I'm with you, Tom, in that Paragon was exceptionally nice. And the Geekery, you know, I'm talking about, like, a place that's been hit super hard, like Queens. Like, you know, their store is nice. It is, it is a lot smaller than Paragon, and you're crammed in. But, like, and it's one bathroom, and um, there's going to be a line to wash your hands between every round. Um, and that's fine. Like people will do that stuff. I, I agree that people want to get back to normal, but I think it'll be interesting to see like to what scale that goes. And actually, the, the big question I have with the card of paper magic is grand prix and magic fests. Oh, I think I think that <laughs> I, I, maybe I don't want to say walk. what what I'm thinking, but I, I, I think I that think they Tom might be on exactly the same page here. I think they might use this as a reason just to scrap those all together. Exactly. Yeah, I, I was just I was just getting there with you. I was just saying, like, there's no Planeswalker points, right? The events, are, you know, everyone complains. Like, that's, that, in a way, that sucks. Those, they already, are... they, they changed the name. They put all this casual bullshit in. They gave you, what, packs for prizes and everything. And the attendance was way through the floor. And Channel Fireball, despite having a monopoly, was claiming they weren't even making any money anyway. So who the fuck wants to have these anymore? I wonder. I do. I do think make... that everybody is going to be doing their grocery shopping online from now on, because that's friggin' awesome. You like that? Oh, I love it. I hate it. Why do? You... Oh, okay. We don't need to get into this because we're actually having a magic discussion. But like, <laughs> the uh, the the ease of putting your order in online and then having it show up to your door is uh is glorious. It just seems so boring to me, right? Like you don't get to. I don't know. I just like interacting with people, like going to the store and seeing all the weirdos at the store and like possible hotties. Are you talking about the grocery store? <laughs> yeah, bro. <laughs> this is in Utah. We have, you know, we have some tail. Yeah, well, do, Texas, do you want me uh, to cut this or am I leaving it in? <laughs> Whatever, man. Like, yeah, bro. Texas, like, is not Utah. Is what I'm saying. I, I mean, I can go either way on ordering groceries online. It feels a lot worse when you forget something. And, you know, you can't let's, like, go, you know, you're not going to, but, like, I'm with you. There's going to be some behavioral, behavioral, behavioral changes, and that that's going to have impacts on everything, you know, from grocery shopping to magic cards. Um, what I'm hopeful that we'll, we'll get to soon is the ability for, I know this, this is going to sound really, like, um, hippie-ish, and I don't really mean it to be, but it's, like, it would be nice to just, like, I hope, like, I hope Jeremy gets to run his tournament in, in September, you know? Yeah. Just to, like, go, just to, like, get out and see people you don't see. That was, like, a lot of the big thing about the big tournaments that I liked, you know? Yeah. Um, in fact, I mostly hated actually playing the games in them, but, like, Eternal Weekend, seeing people's cool collections, seeing the cool vendors of cards, and that kind of sucks for a lot. But in a way, that's it's also, like, that if, if we're not the market they're going for, 
where like part of that is the experience, then it makes sense that they would just can them overall, you know? And I don't think we need Grand Prix events or Magic Fest to do them. I certainly don't believe that at all. Um, and I, in a way, community events might be better for a lot of reasons, but hopefully it's just not like a, just a move away from events like that in general, I suppose. Yeah, it's a big Texas size 10 4, buddy. The last, you know, what the last Paper Magic event I was at was an old school tournament at a uh, VFW in San Antonio. And I, and I, I think my talking... my last three were leaving a legacy tournaments at gaming, etc. Yeah, and it's nice to have those as your last memories, right? <laughs> like, I mean that. Like I seriously, I seriously mean that. I was talking about the same friend. I was like in, the, in this conversation we were having. I was just like, you know, at least the last thing we did was we all got in the van and we all drove to San Antonio. And we played in the old school tournament, and we all did pretty well. And then we stopped at Texas Roadhouse because the only thing open on the way home. Like we got a story, even though we're like in our thirties. Yeah. That's you know, awesome. we at least have like a cool story of like just hanging out with your buds, playing some fun magic, and then you know getting back to it. And the last thing wasn't like, um, you know, <laughs> the eternal weekend where the uh, where the tournament software collapsed and all the judges got stuck on the in traffic on the bridge in the Philadelphia. <laughs> Like, I wouldn't want that to be the last thing I remember. So, you know, you know, small miracles, small victories. Yeah, bro, I feel you. Now, do I get to go through the I get to go through the challenge with you guys and do a challenge? challenge yeah, pitter-patter, let's get at her. <laughs> uh, it's it's going to be like when I'm shouting at you while I'm walking around the block, but in real time. Like, what are you guys talking about this? <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a very nice letter, Kenny, reference, by the way. Bro, yeah. I'm I'm so glad. Oh, I didn't know you guys watched that show. That's awesome. I love Letter Kenny, man. Oh, that's sick, bro. I just found it like on Thursday, and I'm on season eight. <laughs> yeah, you go through them fast. Yeah, well, there's only like six episodes a season, so that helps. Yeah. But uh, yeah, this is um, this is uh, so the challenge, right? Obviously, that's what we talk about on this podcast. There's two challenges now, so we have to have a, a kind of a large discussion. Tom, you just want to double our numbers that we came up with before? Yeah, I think we talked about that before. Yeah, we weren't um, exactly sure if the two challenges were going to stick around or not, but looks like they are. So. Yep. I'm oh, you're going to double okay. your numbers. We're doing it times two. Yeah. So, yeah, basically, the challenge there, there's two challenges. The one on Saturday that we talked about before, there were uh, only 64 players. And the challenge on Sunday, there were 97 players. But I think it's worth it to talk about them both. I'm going to put a little more weight on Sunday because there are more players. But you can clearly see that the list from Sunday were influenced by Saturday. Yeah. So without further ado, you guys want to look at uh, Saturday? I got yeah, let's there. take a look. The winner. This this one's going to Tom. This is oh, I'm uh, I'm Randy Johnson right now, <laughs> serving you serving you that hot high heat right here bro uh, i'm the bird you're the bird yeah Yeah, i'm the bird nate you can be the the chew i don't know what that is is that from american idol (laughs) oh this is randy johnson okay randy randy johnson the big unit was a six foot nine Maybe six no, 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 foot no. ten. I know who Randy Johnson is. I thought, oh, okay. I thought you said I thought you said Randy Jackson, and for some reason I thought that was American <laughs> Idol. Oh, I think Randy Jackson is from American Idol. I think I think you're right. I thought Randy Jackson was the guy with Steve Berman on ESPN primetime. That's TJ. That's Tom Jackson. Oh yeah, that's right. 
This is a Chris, Chris Tucker, Chris Rock moment. Yeah, Randy Jackson. Okay, I thought you said Randy Jackson. I was like, the fucking bird? What are you talking about? Wait, was then, Randy Jackson the... number 57 on the Broncos? What? No, it would have been Tom Jackson would have been number 57. Oh, okay. Tom Jackson, number 57 for the Broncos, also referred to TJ as TJ. Gotcha. About 69 years old. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Serve that one. There, I, I served you that bird. <laughs> yes, I know. Randy Johnson murdered the bird. That was Yankee Stadium, I think, actually. Or was that I thought, the blue shakes. I thought it was uh, indoor. That's what that was. Uh, the book. The bird was moving so slowly. <laughs> oh, really? That's funny. I was moving a lot slower after I got hit by that fastball. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So let's talk about Bro, this. What if that bird was carrying a coronavirus and he saved humanity? Anyway, this list. Continue with this list. <laughs> so <laughs> save me. This, this death and taxes list is insane. If you imagine a traditional death and taxes list, just completely throw all of the value stuff out the window. Um, it's just not there. Oh, the value is all in the Lurus and the sideboard. It's playing four Lotus Petal, four Mox Amber, a lot more legendary one-drops to power the Amber, and um, more mana taxing cards like Leon and Arbiter that you can play off of turn one with your with your, um, with your your Lotus Petals. So still has Thalia, still has Revokers, and a total of six Mother of Rune effects, but... Man, this deck this deck is way more taxing than that sort of usual um, shell that you imagine when somebody says death and taxes. I think this deck is sweet. <laughs> I think yeah. it's awesome. I love Smuggler's Copter. I love Mox Amber. I love that. Like, okay, so you get three Isamaru Hound Conda, three Kithion, Hero of Akros. So you got these six one mana legends, and you have six two mana legends because you have Thalia and Tomic. I'm assuming Tomic was like the next best thing, and Luris is a is a legend. So, um, but they yeah, so they cut the three drops, and when we talked with then not we, but like when I, any podcast talked about Death and Taxes, it was like, are you gonna play Luris? Like, well, you know, Flicker Wisp is like the best card in, in Death and Taxes, but they cut it and they found this arrangement. So I think it's sweet. Yeah, we saw we saw a similar idea. With Luris in Goblins that Goblin Lackey posted on Twitter that you tagged me in. Yeah. Um, and did you, did you see why I tagged you by the way? Uh, no, I don't know why you tagged me. Because he had three of those unearth cards that I picked one of in the set review. Oh, call of the, the sideboard dweller or whatever. Yeah. But so anyway. I didn't know why you tagged me. I was like, oh, this is a very interesting thing. Gotcha. I didn't see that. I saw that in the sideboard that either, but yeah. Yep, I didn't. Anyway. Smuggler's Copter is really good. Like, it's a good card, and you finally have a reason to play it because there's not anything there's not anything comparable to it at two, and you can stick your, uh, you know, ground creatures into it and loot, and you get a little bit of looting activity out of it. If you Now, the reason Smuggler's Copter I don't think gets played that much is because it's just super outclassed at three, which is not that much more than two. Right. But when you're not playing three... All right, you can stick your Luris in it even, and, and he can go over to you. Yeah, your... you get a ton of synergy with being able to like loot away your creatures that you can play with Luris too. So that oh, that yeah, access is nice. Your extra too. legendary artifacts and legendary creatures. I love what they did with it. I, I again, I don't think any of us thought of this. And a turn one copter is way better than a turn two copter. Also, 
for the record. Would you consider Chrome Mox or maybe an ancient tomb or something? Maybe not an ancient tomb. Oh. Uh, I was about to say definitely ancient tomb, but then I thought more about it, and I think you're right. I don't, I don't think I would consider it. One chrome mox over one lotus petal, all day. Yeah. Lotus petal is, is good with 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 Lurus. and I guess the, if you're on this is the Leonid Arbiter plan, right? So like the idea is that this thing is going to gum up your opponent a ton, the Arbiter, right? So, um, I guess my, my point there being, like, usually I think that Chrome Mox is a little slow in, like, fair decks. <laughs> it sounds weird, but, like, you said, you go down a card, you have to recoup that resource. But um, you get that extra card back with your Luris anyway. You get the card back with the Luris, and also, like, if your opponent is also, like, moving through Quicksand, then you could, you know, put a Catlin test. You could put, put a Catlin into play, and you'd probably just win. Yeah, um, so I, I want to clarify... I know that you can't get back the exiled card with Luris, but starting with the Luris in your hand negates you going down a card that you've exiled with Chromox. Right, yeah. Yes, good point. Right. And if you have, like, Lotus Petal, Chromox, and then play your turn one Luris, then you're in real good shape. Bring back your Lotus Petal, make a Giver runes, good game. Oh, jeez. Oh, How crazy is it to see a Taxa Shell without Vile, though? It's wild, yeah. You can't get, you can't get Luris down without Vile. Also, like, what's Trixie about? There's not really like a lot of Trixie stuff. No, there's not. Ar- Arbiter's Trixie. That's true. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's probably the only Trixie card. Maybe Tomic? Revoker. Like, you can respond to them casting a Planeswalker with a Revoker, but it's not, like, really Trixie or anything. Well, let's, let's yeah. look at this then. So instead of a, instead of Aether Vial, this player chose to do the four pedal, four amber, and go for Acceleration. Yep. So I guess it's just... It, it's is, it, is this just a function of... Having a companion is so good that you can do weirdo shit like play Lotus Petal in your Death Attacks deck instead of Aether Vial, which sounds insane. Yeah, I mean they both they both really just were in the deck to provide a mana advantage because that's really all Aether Vial is. Obviously, it allows you to play stuff at like instant speed, but the real power of it is just giving you access to more mana, and Lotus Petal does that. Um, and the 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 sort of downside of sacrificing the card to get that extra mana is you can just bring it back for free every turn with Luris. So Aether Vial is also like, it's like mortgaging tempo, right? Because you play an Aether Vial on turn one, you're not advancing your board. On turn two, you get one mana out of it. You know, and most most D&T decks only play whatever it is, the the four, two, five, six um, mom effects if they have I don't know what your current build is, Tom, and I, I can't say I have a good one myself, but, like, the max you would play is, like, six one-drops in a DNT mm-hmm. deck. Or this is three, six, nine, twelve. This is twelve one-drops. <laughs> so <laughs> you're playing something on turn one besides your Aether Vial. You're, you're actually playing to tempo. You're playing, on top, you're playing on the board. And when you're not getting the Aether Vial to give you three mana, like, getting Aether Vial to three is terrifying for your opponent because that's Flicker Wisp and... Recruit of the Guard and Miran Crusader and all those horrifying things that you need to probably need to counter, right? Yeah. Um, but if you're not getting that value, like you might as well just just power out your shit. And- yeah. And in in that shell, a lot of the power of the vial is like leaving your mana up to port and things like that. And this deck isn't playing port; it's playing for Ghost Corner to pair with um right with the Arbiter. That's another great point. Yeah. Really smart deck building by this player, MM underscore 17. I'm impressed. 
Yeah, this is this is hella cool. Obviously rewarded, but with the win here, I'd love to see it. And yeah, that's uh that's about all I have to say about this deck. I, you know, we're gonna see some iterations on it in the next challenge, and I'm sure for the foreseeable future. Because what are they ban cards only on Mondays now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did they some... announce that they were gonna make announcements every time they were gonna ban a card now? Or did what was the announcement that there were I, no more announcements? For do you bands? know Nate? Because I honestly don't. I honestly I don't think they did. They made, they did not make an announcement. I do remember they made the announcement that they were going to make an announcement about Lutri in Commander and Brawl. And I was like, could this just been the announcement? Like you're going to name the card and the format? Can't you just say it? Like, yeah. It's so bizarre. <laughs> anyway. All right. So second place. This is. Samu with just a Rug Delver Stifle, like Nimble Mongoose. Rug Delver deck straight out of 2012, with the exception of uh, One Force of Negation in the main deck, like literally a 2012 Rug Delver deck. You guys are big Spell Snare fans, right? Is that... Yeah. Yeah. I, uh... Spell Snare gets sick when everyone is maxing out at two. Yes. Because it counters yeah. <laughs> most of their deck and all their good cards, and you just have to bolt the one good card. Yeah. Exactly, cool. bro. And they've got six bolt effects for the Luris on top of that. Yep. Yep. And full four stifles. So you're you're clearly like, you know, this is extremely low to the ground Delver. Like that's you can still get under a Luris, you know what I mean? It's not like uh it's not like we're talking about some fucking one drop or something. It, it, the games are smaller now, but they're not that small. Like I can, I can tell why this deck did well, right? Yeah. And third place, mental misstep, playing the JPA deck from last week, but with a young pyromancer instead of a Lavinia in the main deck. Just the uh, the blue, white, red Delver with Luris in the sideboard. Uh, nothing crazy in there, I don't think. Fourth place was Shorak. Bro, have you ever seen Medley, uh, Mother of Runes in a Delver deck before? Yeah. Um, blue, white. So I tinkered with... This is like back in like 20... Gosh, 2013, 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, like blue, white, Delver, Stoneforge, Mother of Rune shells. I think we were all we all did that in 2013-14. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, I, I think it's awesome that you said that's exactly what I did once, too. I was like, yeah, why don't we just throw Mother Runes in here? It's like a white Thoughtseize. Yeah, like trying to take sort of like old school Cawblade and add Delver and Tempo cards and Mother of Runes to like give it, give the um, Delvers like a little bit of staying power and protect your Stoneforges. I, I definitely, I definitely have had that thought and put stuff like that together. Hmm. All right. Well, interesting. I mean, you know, Mother of Rune seems like a card you want to play with Luris, so. It, it's, it's, it is like that white Thoughtseize slot. It's like if you're playing this deck and the blue, the black deck versions were playing Thoughtseize, right. like Mother of Rune either gets removed or it makes them have two pieces of removal, which is like going up a card. And it, like if you're just attacking with these, with Delver and Dreadhorde, which are both insane cards, um, to be attacking with, like, you know, you want to be able to get them through or get them something from being blocked on top of that. So, and that's something being removed. So, Goblin Crater Maker, the good tech in the sideboard, he was another one too. Yeah, Goblin yeah, Crater Maker's stock definitely goes up with Luris. I think the printing of True Name kind of, kind of turned off all of that tinkering with those shells because True. you had a threat that you didn't really need to have Mom for. 
Right, you're right, exactly. But you can't play True Name with Luris. This is the only good thing about Luris is you can't play True Name and Elko with it. <laughs> it's like the thing I love the most about it. Um, Goblin Crater Maker, I think, is a sweet card. It's, I think I like that it's seeing some play because of Luris. I played it mainboard and vintage in my Delver deck because I, at the time it was the Karn Forge meta. Yeah. And I was like, well, this thing destroys a Karn or a Forge. <laughs> so I guess we'll do that. And it was very good. Unfortunately, they both get value first, right? Yeah. But, yeah, no, I do like that. And we see quite a bit of that in, in the, all the Delver decks. But JPA, fifth place, same deck. It's his deck. So uh, third, fourth, and fifth were all blue, white, red Delver of some variety. Uh, sixth place was the uh, not the uh, Luris Shops deck we saw last week, but just like a straight-up Eldrazi Stompy deck. It was uh, I Want T, TPI. What is this? I I, play, I think I played against this person, or I just saw it here, but, like, I want Eat Ebi? <laughs> I want Eat EBI? I could get it. Isn't, was... isn't that a sushi thing? Isn't that eel? Hold on. I gotta look this up. I think I think it's eel. Eat Ebi? No, EBI. E-B-I. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, EBI sushi. sushi. Ebi Sushi Bar, Boston, Massachusetts. That explains that. So it's uh, it's shrimp being butterflied um, in sushi. Okay. That's okay. Not delicious. There we go. There's your yeah. answer. Good work. Wow. All right. Well, seventh place, this is someone that I played against quite a bit, is Laywer. This is fucking Miracle, like Stoneforge Miracle Thopter Blade with Luris in the sideboard. I feel like every time I talked about Luris for whatever weeks we did, I was like, you know, you can play Thopter Founder and Sword of the Meek with this, and just like no one ever said anything back, so I just let it fall into the ether. But here it is. Yeah, well, what I missed entirely was that Zidra didn't reduce the cost below one. So I was like, oh, okay, but all the Thopter Blade decks will just be playing Zidra. So, yeah, I, I really like this idea with Luris. I've been thinking about this a little. Not with Counterbalance and Miracles cards, but just in, like, an Esper Blade shell, right? Yeah, like that one that when, when Dig Through Time was legal, where you'd, like, Thought Scour yourself, and then right. Dig Through Time, yeah. Yeah, so this deck is pretty sick. It's, you know, kind of what you'd expect, like Mishra's Bobble and stuff, and there's just two Snapcasters and three Stoneforge Mystics as a creature suite. Obviously did well. Um, no, Three. no crazy cards, right? Is there's no other equipment besides the the Sword of the Meek, and they're still playing three Stone Forges? No, there's a Jit. Oh, there's a Jit too. Okay, I see it now. You can't play any other. I guess you could play Shadow Spear. You yeah. know Shadow Spear? Yeah, yeah. No, uh, Phil Gallagher like commented on one of our podcasts like you forgot to mention Shadow Spear. It's like that's a good pull. I totally forgot that card existed because too many cards come out. Like. I don't know. How was I supposed to remember a thing from this year? I played it through a league, Shadow Spear, just to fuck with it. I never fetched it once, but I did play it through a league. Yeah. Unfortunately, it doesn't remove protection from player. Right. Yeah, all the relevant cards in Vintage, it, it, or in Legacy, it didn't hit. So it was like, all right, this sucks. But uh, eighth and ninth place are two Gyruda lists. I don't know if you guys want to talk about this. One thing that's kind of cool... For our new, for our Zoomer listeners out there, for the youngins, you might not rec- uh, recognize Spazaram Scary, but oh, yeah. these are these are called when you see DDFT or whatever, like 
what what's the uh what's the word for these things they're uh now now i'm blanking on it i'm a zoomer now well first of all dd you're thinking of sackland tendrils sackland tendrils that's what i was thinking of yeah. and that's not these those are lands from invasion that like tap for like white and then sacrifice for green blue or something like right, that right right yeah. these are these are like but these lands have been played in legacy before they were played in the big red decks Tom, yeah yeah you're older than me and, and which is rare <laughs> and it's like a lot longer than me, which is not rare. You could probably say well, the last time you saw Surprise and Scary. So uh, I can't, to be honest. I know that I have seen it in lists, but uh, I don't know the, the history behind that particular card. I just know that someone... I know, I'm letting, I'm letting you down. I'm well, someone down. like showed up to Utah, like, I just moved here from wherever, and I play Legacy, and they pull out their deck, and their first turn was that red one. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, the, I've definitely seen uh, Sand... Sandstone needle, like whatever, Sandstone whatever the right yes, one is. Thank you. Um, and I, I maybe I've seen this in like a blue stompy shell, like a blue chalice shell, but I, I really don't think so. Would have been like that sea drink deck, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Pirate stompy. But these these are interesting. <laughs> these are interesting. So one of them, like they, they're they're different. One of them's got like a grim monolith and stuff. Oh, this one. They want the grim monolith. Okay, it's just the way the wizards. Yeah. Sites yeah. This one has four Leyline of Life Force, In the and main. one has 29 creatures. <laughs> I, I do like the 8th place's inclusion of Thought Not Seer. Well, like, yeah, so there's Thought Not Seer, and also I've seen Progenitus in these lists that I really like. Oh, Progenitus, okay. Because like, um, if you I whiff, like, but you still get a Progenitus, like you still win, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's, that's absolutely true. I, you're right. I just laugh because it's funny. It's like, well, you know, maybe just hit a progenitus. <laughs> That's the end of the game. Like, I'll just, just stop here. What are you gonna do? Yeah. <laughs> Innocent blood. Ah, damn. <laughs> Guess I'll just have to sacrifice the guy Ruda. I also got in play. Never exactly, mind. bro. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. What? Any other comments on these lists? Because I'm about ready to move on. I've seen. Oh, there's Maelstrom Wanderer. Actually, I missed that. There are so uh, many. Is Wander the Cascade card? Yeah, it's like another Dragon Lord Kolagon. Oh, it gives everything haste. I for, Okay. Yeah. I was trying to figure out how the double Cascade worked with everything, and I was like, it doesn't, but you're right, it gives everything haste. Oh, but it this is, deck doesn't have a Dragon Lord Kolagon. Maybe Maelstrom Wander is like a penny online, and Dragon Lord Kolagon's like two bucks. Thank you. Not, I have no idea if that's the case. I'm just saying that that might be why. The other deck has Dragon Lord Kolagon. Right. Yeah, that was the only reason it made sense to me to play one over the other. Could you imagine milling into Dragonlord Kolagon and then attacking for 12 and then, like, somehow your opponent goes, like, I don't know, maybe, like, they block with a Delver and then they cast another Delver and you trigger the Dragonlord Kolagon's thing that they cast the creature <laughs> with the same thing as the card in their graveyard and they lost 10 life. Oh, the game. God. <laughs> I guess it never happens, but still. No, well, the thing is, though, you're mailing the cards. Yeah, that's right. You can just trap them. Like, yep, nice try. You wanted to get that blocker to play, you're dead. <laughs> they could have 8 to 12 cards in their graveyard at that point. So, yeah. damn. That that actually does seem a lot more relevant. I was about to say it's only a small difference, but it's actually kind of bigger than that. I'm just trying to figure out why you would play... Oh, Maelstrom Wander is a 7-5, and Dragler Colgan is a 6-5, so you get that extra power. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm serious. Like, I'm just I'm looking for anything. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Maybe if you clone the Maelstrom Wonder, like, if you just, like, hard clone it, 
like let's say you go Gyruda, right? And then yeah. you get the Maelstrom Wanderer, and then you attack for thirteen, and then you just like and then you play like I don't know, you just you just clone it so you get the cascade. Oh know. you're right, you can well no, you can hard clone it and it's not legendary, right? Or is it legendary? You can just let it go because you still have a oh, piece it is, seven it five, is probably win. I don't know why you need it. Like, what does it even mill into? It's eight? I guess it mills into everything else. Oh, I guess it just starts your chain again if you do that. That might be the reason why. Okay. So if you like get a Maelstrom Wanderer and then something goes awry, you just image the Wanderer, you get double Cascade, and that probably wins. No, I don't think you get the Cascade triggers I don't think if, you do you, either. if you image it. Oh, okay, because it does enter the battlefield as that, but Cascade's on cast. Okay, my bad. Yep. My yep. confidence in making judge <laughs> decisions like that has been completely shattered in the past. I'm months. I'm fairly I'm I'm actually like 100 percent confident it doesn't work that way. Yeah, I'm glad no, you're, you said you're right. You're right. You're right. Now that I hear it, you're right. I just I just um, was thinking that like there was like some sort of clone rule that I wasn't okay. But anyway. <sighs> All right. So there was a couple lists that I picked out from the, uh, you know, the heap. <laughs> whatever you want to call this, the, uh, the, the down low. Yeah. Why am I blanking on the word? The, the fucking, dregs. The dregs. The From the brim to the dregs we go. So 14th place, Hidden Gibbo with Rug Delver. This is a card. There's a card in this list that I looked at. I stared at this card for a solid minute when, when I was getting ready for the set review. And I was like, is this card good enough to play? Like I, I thought, I thought about it for a while. So what it is is it's one in a red for an instant that deals damage to target creature. Planeswalker equal number of instant or sorcery cards in your graveyard, and if it dies, you exile it. So I was thinking about you know mag. Uh, What's the name of this card, Ian? Well, wait, wait. Do you know why I said why I didn't include it in the set review? Did I tell you? No. Oh, so the reason I didn't include it in set review is because it was called Blitz of the Thunder Raptor, and I decided <laughs> I decided that if the card was any good, they would have given it some sort of eloquent name that wasn't just absolute fucking trash, like th- <laughs> throwaway draft uncommon number seventeen kind of a name. But so, don't you like those cards? There's, there's a line, right? There's it's a line. It's, it's, it's like you know it when you see it, right? Yeah. And the name of this card was just too bad for them to have ever considered it seeing Eternal Play. In my, in my book, I I relied on the developers for my evaluation of this card. Because <laughs> this name is fucking awful. God, could you imagine getting this card in German? It's probably like Blitzkriegs, blah, blah, blah. blah like, like, it's uh, probably not that different. It's like 6.5. Yeah, you're actually right. Isn't it? It's like Thunder Raptor Blitzkrieg, and it's probably much more eloquent, actually. Um, I don't know how to speak German. I have an opinion about this car, but I will let Tom go first. Uh, what place are we in again? I need to actually look at the whole thing. We need to get... 14. Remember that show, The Critic, when it goes, it stinks. <laughs> uh, it just seems bad, right? <laughs> so... Like, it just... No, it like really does. Like, does. What's the, what's the, the card that's better... Harvest Pyre? Harvest Pyre is a good card as well. Um, not I mean, as good with like, Evangels. It sort of reminds me of Harvest Pyre. They're both not not high on my radar of like eternal playable cards, but like is what what makes this card good? Well, a while ago, 
there was a build of Rug Delver. I think it was that guy, Jonathan Alexander, who was championing it, and he had played a card called Spite of Mogus. Spite of Mogus is a one red mana sorcery that deals damage to target creature equal to the number of instant sorcery cards in your graveyard. Uh, it does not have the exile clause, but you do get to scry one. And the idea was like, you know, it's another one mana spell. It's going to kill a Thought Not Seer or, you know, something big. That's what you want it for. And Spite of Mogus has been in that sort of like, that one of those cards that I sort of just like have in my box. And every time I'm paging through, I'm like, do I need this? Is there like a thing I might need this for? And I usually say no and move on. Blitz of the Thunder Raptor is a two mana instant. So you get like downgrade upgrade in a way. It also hits Planeswalkers and it has the Exile Clause. I mean, if you're really like, I might play against a bunch of big butt guys or like it just nails an Oko, you know? There you go, right? Yeah, and it's kind of a little better than a braid, right? Because you can, like, like a braid plays that role in the post-board games where you bring it in just to get around Chalice or her Sanctum Prelate or whatever because it's not a one. Mm-hmm. So it's kind like, that's kind of why I was thinking about including it in the set review. I was going to pick zero, ultimately, for it anyway, but... Um, it we does didn't review it either. Or anything, yeah. like... I mean, we, I, I would have said, like, Spite of Mogus saw very little play. This is a two-mana version of Spite of Mogus, sort of. So, I mean, but it's cool that they did it. I, yeah. It's, you know. Well, spoiler alert, it's actually higher in the next day challenge, so. I played Beacon Bolt when I was doing Arclight Phoenix decks. That was the one that had the retrace on it. Or not retrace, jumpstart. I hated that fucking card. <laughs> but I was just like, hey, I can mill this, you know, and, it, and I can still get some value out of it and discard a Phoenix to it or something. Bro, why not play just Risk Factor? I did play Risk Factor. Oh, okay. <laughs> I guess it sort of fills the spot of dismember. Yeah, like, it's... You gotta have stuff in your graveyard, which is not nothing. Like, let's say you play Delver, Brainstorm, Days, now you're up to two. Right? So, you, if you're gonna try and kill a four or five butt with this, like, it might take a while. But... But it gives you that out. It gives you that okay. out, and you don't take four to do it, which is probably a thing you're trying to avoid if you're trying to kill. Excuse me, X four, X five. Yeah, yeah. I never, I never would have saw that at the set review. I definitely would have taken zero, and I would have been wrong. So yeah. Well, to, to be honest, like I, I really do believe that thing about they didn't expect to see Toronto play either. So twenty third place. Oh, this is okay, Nate. Let's see if this card's in your fucking box, tough guy. 23rd place (laughs) Popcorn Red is playing a a blue-red build that's that's also has Luris, so I guess it's Grixis. Uh, 4 Delver, 4 Arcanist, 4 Sprite Dragon. So we're seeing Sprite Dragon fall off a lot this weekend, but there is this 4 Sprite Dragon deck with 2 Clout of Dominius in the main deck. Yeah, this is not in my box. Do you want to read it? (laughs) It is a one, it's a hybrid blue-red, so one mana aura, and it's an enchant creature. As long as the enchanted creature is blue, it gets plus one, plus one, and has shroud, and as long as it's red, it gets plus one, plus one, and has haste. Um, also, but, you know, hey, two seal of fire? That's yeah, good, seal that's of fire. Good, that's just good deck building. Like, you've got your Luris, so now you've got a shock every turn. Well, bro, don't even talk about good deck building until you see the standstill on the sideboard and the mind harness. Oh, the mind harness! Yes, I'm all like about the sad. mind harness. It's sad that they're 23rd place. I'm actually gonna go check their record. Putting putting clout on a sprite dragon. 
Yeah. You're yeah. talking now. 4-4 four, four, Shroud. It already had haste, but a 4-4 four, four, Shroud for three mana. Flyer. That's brutal. Uh, how much is, well, I guess it doesn't do anything to your... The thing, the thing that sucks is it doesn't do anything to your Luris. Like, right. Right. <laughs> but... We can cast it out of the graveyard, you know. I mean, you cast it out of the graveyard with your lures. It's too bad you can't like put the lures in and then give it shroud. That would be busted. But you but can uh, throw it on an arcanist and flashback of two. Uh, yeah, and you can if you have like arcanist off the top and this card's in your hand, you can just you know you get that tyrant scorn back. The only two they have is tyrant scorn, which is the main, yeah, yeah. Uh, the I I like this card. Oh wow. I'm into it. I'm definitely into it. If you're, if this you're, is a very Bogles-like card. I'm yeah, excited. Okay, okay. Well, well, think about it this way too. Like you, you again, you're you're capping out it too. You got to do something to build your own true name. And there you go. <laughs> it's like that's what you're doing. It's like I'm building myself my closer with one of my crappy old creatures. You know. Yeah, bro. That's a great point. I don't know about two. <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> but uh, yeah, sure. But how, bro, how sick is Mind Harness with Luris? Yeah, that's real good. Phil's been on this um, kick with uh, with Mystic Remora and Luris. Oh, okay. I like that too. Uh, and this is the same thing, right? Where you just like get it back every turn. But what about Standstill with Luris? Why didn't anybody talk about that? Like, that seems so good. Chubby Rain for Vintage, uh, Matt Murray, has a standstill deck with Luris in the sideboard and also that, that Sharknado guy, the Sharknado Yeah, yeah, yeah I did see and then, that. And then the Hall of Heliod's Generosity to put it back on top. Yep. I mean, oh, don't you just want to do it? Yes. You can do all that legacy. Yep. Ah, so good. Bro, the, the fucking standstill, though, like, it's, it's uh, like... I don't know. It just seems to fit the Luris deck so well. It's just like, okay, the game's over. Like, you scoop to this card, right? I think Stancil's always been borderline playable in any Zelda deck. It's just like, because if you get your early threat down, and you kind of maneuver, and then you play the standstill if you have a threat down, because people will just soak up damage and, and like, as like control decks, right? That's what you, you bring it in against. Yep. They'll soak up damage. I guess That's tough, though, because, like, you have your Delver in play, right? You cast your standstill, you put it on the stack, and your Delver dies. Then you're in that awkward spot where you're letting your control opponent develop the mana base, and you don't want to crack it, and they're okay with just saying land go. Well, you probably want to do it if you have backup for, like, a Swords of Plowshares on your Delver in response to the standstill. Right? Okay. Um, and you're only playing one. I mean, I played it in this deck. In fact, it's a little better because you have actual man lands in Infect. Right. Um, yep. But, um, but yeah. Yeah, and in this deck, too, this is a Delver deck. Let me read the mana base for this, essentially, Blue Red Delver deck. It starts with Badlands, then Basic Island, then Caracas. I mean, <laughs> that's four colors in the first three cards. And you're only really playing two of them. And no Astrolib. Fucking crazy, right? <laughs> I haven't, has there been a Luris Astrolib deck yet? That just... Oh, uh, yeah. Mean, yeah. Um, oh, I guess that 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 the uh, the Doctor Foundry one was. Yeah. Wait, no, it doesn't have Astrolabe. No, which not is that. Weird. Thing, but last week's miracles. Uh, there were some people playing miracles, Luris, in this one, or maybe it was on Sunday, but okay. it, it, not really that many. No. 
A lot of the Astrolabe decks have been your Orion decks so far. I was going to say, I only see two yep. Astrolabe decks in this challenge, and they both are 80 cards. Yep. Yeah, bro. I, I like that that whole 80 card idea. Yeah, me too. I actually really like that card, Orion, but I have to be strong in my resolve of hatred for companions. Yeah, but you were like playing Ephemerate, and doesn't that just like, isn't that perfect for Ephemerate? Oh, dude, it's so good. It's like disgustingly good. So yeah, uh, also real quick, wanted to shout out our buddy chugging along. CBL James showing up in the uh, you know the four uh, three section of both days challenges. So good on you, good James. for him, grinding it out. We you go, Glenn Coco. Respect the hustle. What'd you call him? Glenn Coco. Glenn. It was a Mean Girls reference. Oh okay, very nice. So yeah, the uh, the challenge from Sunday. You want to get to the the big leagues. Yeah, let's do it. I just want one quick thing though. People yep. aren't looking for the Saturday challenge yet, and it is sort of dividing. Like it's, it. I think it's like effectively the same time if you live in the U.S. Like the, the Saturday ones at like six a.m. for me, and I think Sunday ones at nine a.m. Right. Um, I wouldn't say that. I don't think either of them is better than the other. I mean, people just don't expect the Saturday one yet. We should just see if like European players, for whatever reason, or maybe uh, Asian players, switch to the Saturday one because it's a better time for them. But anyway, that's all. It does seem like the European ones are particularly keen on Saturday so far, but we have uh, first place Sylvia Wataru with uh, this is so this is a uh, Bug Delver deck, Loris. We see Deadweight show up, so I'm happy to see that. The uh, the talk last week about you know including Deadweight, I don't feel like such an asshole anymore. And other than that. You know, nothing nothing too crazy. We see, like, the reenemy in the sideboard. But this is a bug deck with Nimble Mongoose, which is tr- traditionally something you're not really used to seeing, right? Mm-hmm. <sighs> well, you're not really used to seeing Nimble Mongoose, period, lately, right? Like, Oh, yeah, certainly. Yeah. Anyway. Um, there's no Veil of Summers in this deck. Let's look at the uh, next one. It's interesting there's a green deck like this, no Veil of Summer. So let's yeah, see. Second place is Bob with uh, also a more different Bug Delver deck, but it has four Mongies and one Tarmogoyf with three Stifles in the main deck. That's the departure from the other one, and obviously the full set of Wastelands in this one. But there is also no Veil of Summer, right, Nate? Yeah, I see that. I'm surprised. I mean, I'm, I don't know if like, I'm surprised, surprised, but like usually it's like the last card in the sideboard at this yep. point. Uh, two Tarmac away from the sideboard for Bob. Yeah. I wonder how that calculus came about. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I wonder if he just boards out the Tarmac and boards in the Bitter Blossom, like the one that's in the main deck, against, like, Swords Plowshares decks, and doesn't... and just thinks, like, Nimble Mongoose isn't going to get hit by a Swords Plowshares, Delaware Secrets trades evenly, at least Tarmac doesn't trade down, and sure. then brings a Tarmac in for, perhaps, your two Fatal Push against... A combo deck. Yep. So I think I think you're exactly right. All right. Well, third place, Nicolo with a Grixis Delver deck, and this is one Sprite Dragon Grixis Delver. But I, I wanted to shout out the fact that there are five Grixis Delver Luris decks in this challenge, and this is the only one with Sprite Dragon, and it only has one. I'm not surprised. I, I didn't think Sprite Dragon was that good. Respect. 
Well, neither neither did I, but now that I know about this clout card, um, <laughs> I am I'm 100% all about it. I mean, I was, I was surprised to see it until I saw the fact, like, because it's, again, like, what am I going to do? Play Vicious Bobble in my deck? Oh, I guess I am. And it's it's really good with that, in in a way, right? Like, once you get the recursion going, you're attacking in the air. Um, but I don't. I, I think the fact that we saw it rise up and fall off is is to be expected. It's it's that it's that kind of card, right? Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, other than that, you know, these lists are pretty much what we expect to see at this point. I would say, like, it's kind of weird to say that because we've only been talking about two weeks, but people are kind of figuring out what cards are good. Like, you know, you see EE in the sideboard a lot now. You know, you see Caracas floating around the seventy-five now. But th- these are cards that have obviously risen, and Graphdigger's Cage have risen. Uh, in popularity with Luris, but do you think Fiery Islet here? And like, I know this is like a nitpick, but I'm just sort of curious about it. Is Fiery Islet better than either like a spell bomb of some sort or a um, like a Nihil, like a Nihil spell bomb? But then I was thinking like uh, the other spell bombs that you can also sacrifice to draw a card. Like it's still just a one of. I guess it brings your land count up that much higher, but it doesn't like cast your Luris either. So. Like, if I was going to play a 19th land, maybe you play, like, there isn't a blue-black cycle land, is there? Or, like, that, is there? So, I guess you can. Yeah. Um, I don't know, I'm just wondering, not that I think it's bad to include it or anything, but more like, could you play, like, a spell bomb in that, in that like, 19th land spot that's going to cycle and then have more Luris synergy? Yeah, I guess you could. I don't know. I I, I don't love the Fiery Islet there, if that's, if that's what you're saying. But... Like, I, I, I do like playing 19 lands. I, I guess, you know, Caracas would be the, the main deck card, and typically that this is replacing. Yeah, I mean, again, like, I was only triggered by the... <laughs> triggered. I, I, met the, I thought triggered in me was that it's a thing you sacrifice to draw a card. I'm like, well, wouldn't you want to... Why not just play something that works with Blurris? But Fire that's a fine card. Whatever. Yeah, true. All right, fourth place is the, the Mox Amber... Death and Taxes deck that we talked about earlier. And actually, I, I was saying that it was iterated upon, but I don't think it even was. Like, this looks like the exact 75 from before, right? Is and it the like, same pilot? No. no. That's crazy. Yep. And if you play someone else's 75 in the Sunday challenge, from the Saturday challenge, we're not going to say your name. So <laughs> Yeah, like, these lists weren't even published so between you put, you put the challenges, Twitter. right? You put it on Twitter, I think. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I That's, got you. Because I heard about it when I was on the pit on, on Saturday night, so. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, fifth place uh, was the Bomberman, sort of Zidra, Zerda deck. I'm never going to figure out that it's Zerda, but the Bomberman deck that we've talked about with uh, this time there's Urza in it, though. So yeah, it's, it's um, not the original list that we were talking about had... Uh... Sorry, they did not have Urza. No, I apologize. Yeah. So I don't. What do you call this deck, Nate? Help me out. I, w- I would just call it Urza. I wouldn't call it Urza Bomberman, but like, I don't know. This is just the new Urza deck, I guess. Urzidra. 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 There we go. We did yeah. it. Well, it's Urzerda, though. Urzerda. Yeah, you're right. Now you're screwing us up. Um, Urza is such a such an ins- like just disgusting payoff for infinite mana too. Like I'm just gonna cast every single card in my deck. Do you think you can beat that? <laughs> like probably not. Pretty disgusting, yeah. Except for the other Urzas, is like literally the only card I'm not gonna cast. <laughs> uh, yeah, that sucks, man. 
Look at fucking Urza. I, I just hate that guy. I hate that card. Every time it resolves, this game's just over. The one sideboard line side diamond? Yeah, for the Karn. Yeah, you can like Karn, wish for the Lion's Eye Diamond, play it next turn, crack oh my... a wish, wish or Zerd up, crack Lion's Eye on the stack, and then win. They don't or... have, uh... Oh, yeah, but Yeah. So, sixth place, Strifle. Uh, what? Sorry. I, I didn't think, I didn't see if they had a monolith beside board, that's all I was saying. Yeah, yeah. So, sixth place was Strifo with. Uh, a no companion deck, just a Strifo deck, right? I talked to him a little bit the other day, and he said that he doesn't feel disadvantaged by the companions, and I think that's fair. Three yeah. cling to dust. Well, I'm three glad... cling to dust is crazy. I love it, but I'm glad that someone's out there, right, doing this because, like, th- that was our fear last week, Tom, and it's continued to be my fear is that every like this sort of group thing because the community is only shrinking at this point, right? We can all acknowledge that, and yeah. The the groupthink aspect of it is so strong that like if everybody says companions are busted, then companions are busted because everybody's gonna be playing them and they're gonna be at the top, right? So I'm glad there are people like Strifo out there, as according to what you said, Nate, that are sticking to their guns and playing normal lists and top eighting. Because you need yeah. that, right? You need that push pull because if everybody's just gonna be lemmings, then we're just gonna end up with 32 companions in the top eight. Which will be next week. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think like the Eldrazi deck that we saw, the um, the Rug deck that we saw, like there's clearly advantages here. Right. One reason I think Rug with Stifle is good at the moment is just because of a lot of, of non-basic lands because everyone was, remember we are down to two Astrolabe decks in the first challenge, right? So, you know what I mean? Like all of a sudden, like there's not astrolabes everywhere and people are trying to put Caracas in their Grixis Delver deck. So True. suddenly like a deck that's just like straight up good wasteland deck is good. So, yep. Yeah, for sure, man. Makes sense. So yeah, seventh place was GSY with a Grixis Delver deck with a Snapcaster in the Sprite Dragon spot. And eighth place was Tony Scapone with also a non-companion deck. This is just Blue-Red Delver with uh, a full complement of creatures. Like like you might imagine a Grixis Delver, uh, Blue-Red Delver deck looked like, you know, three months ago or something. Yeah, this is more in the sort of range. Remember how at the beginning of the cast we were talking about like, all right, how would you build a, like a more mid-range Blue-Red shell? Yeah. I know this is not mid-range. It's still got Delver and Days and all of that. But it's playing four accumulated knowledge along with like a much wider range of creatures that you would expect from Blue-Red Delver. Yeah. Um, and more land than you would expect, too. Yeah. You know, what's, you know what that four accumulated knowledge goes awesome with? Your three, three sideboard Aria flame. Ooh. <laughs> I love that. I tried a deck with that and all the like cost reducers. Because I was like, oh, if you just accumulated, if you like intuition for accumulated knowledge of the Aria Flame on the on the board, you're just gonna win. But they didn't That's bother gross. with the cost reducers. But it is it is sick, and if it ever works, Aria Flame is one of those cards you're like, oh, they just gain ten, and then the game's over in like three, like you cast three more spells, and like somehow you killed them. It's crazy. Yeah. So you play modern, right? So you've probably seen this card before. No, I don't. I never play modern. I played it in Legacy. 
Oh, okay. That's right. See, I've, I've only seen this card in draft a few times, and I always beat it really badly. So, so it's not a good draft card. No, I don't know why people play it, but they do for some reason. But, yeah, apparently this is like a Death Shadow card and stuff in in Modern. I've seen it pop up, but... Like you play it against Death Shadow decks? No, I think that they play it in the sideboard. It's, it's a great mirror breaker oh. for Death Shadow decks, though. Maybe okay, that's yeah, why. I can definitely see that. Yeah, that's probably why. Yeah, just like two for one your opponent, and then, you know, just bring them. Yeah, just like playing that card is way better than like swordsing your opponent's Death Shadow. <laughs> so, anyway. yeah, in this deck is the top eight appearance of Blitz of the Thunder Raptor, so got to get that on the board. And then in 10th place, there's another card that we didn't review that makes it two copies of Lava Brink Venturer. I'm surprised you guys didn't review this. I mean, I'm I I still didn't expect to see it. Like it with Blitz of the Thunder Raptor, I was like, man, like I, I kind of wanted to talk about it, but this card I'd never even thought to talk about it, and I still don't want to talk about it. So you go ahead and talk about it, Nate. Well, all I was gonna say is that it's an ancient tomb castable semi tree nemesis, and they're like it's the kind of card that like it might not be great. But there are homes for cards like that, like just sold. Like this is like a Death of Taxes deck with an ancient tomb, right? Um, and you could play like Soldier Stompy or something along those lines. And yeah, okay. Or even like talking... a sideboard juke for Bomberman, just like anything with an ancient tomb and white mana, which is a lot of which is not a lot of decks, but it's, there's enough of them that this card was definitely going to get tested. If I thought of Soldier Stompy, I definitely would have brought the card up. Yeah, you're right. But for death and taxes, I never would have thought about this card. And you're, you do make a good point about the ancient tomb, but you called it a semi true name nemesis, and I don't think that's fair because this card definitely does not give me a semi like true name nemesis does. Well, <laughs> I think that says more about what gives you a semi. Bro, <laughs> I guess either way. Tom, as a math good. teacher, do you get a semi from the reminder text that zero is even? Well, zero. <laughs> I, I don't want to talk about it because like i'm not going to talk about whether or not zero is an even number yes um but you get a semi from true name nemesis but true name nemesis is like a like a fish fish wielding a dagger and this is like a fairly fairly attractive venturer leaping with a sword um bro are, are so, you are you coming out right now as a uh hentai or whatever they're called do you like I, do you like cartoon characters? You, you totally know what they're called. No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what the people are called who who participate in the hentaiation. Is there a special word? So yeah, I hate that's this true. cartoon. Now you hate this card. Like true nemesis. Um, that's like a you know that looks like a real representation of a giant merfolk. But this card is a fucking comic book card. Do you like the art in this set, Nate? Do I, I don't really like any art that <laughs> is is relatively new. It, it doesn't really make any sense to me. It's all like, and I shouldn't say it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make like, it doesn't doesn't really affect me one way or the other unless it's like really off the wall. So like a lot of people love that guy Seth McKinnon, and I agree. Like at least his his stuff kind of sticks out, but a lot of it just looks like rendered art that you can that I see anywhere else. You know. That's exactly. So. Well. 
yeah so that's uh that's lava brink venture and the rest of this challenge like we see a lot of uh Delver decks, Grixis Delver decks starting to incorporate Dark Confidant again, which I think is pretty cool. But my main takeaway from the rest of this challenge was that it was it was chalk. Like there wasn't there wasn't anything really in the rest of this challenge. And I did look at all the decks. There were Yorion decks that uh, you know ha- had sort of changed from last week's uh, builds, where they have more abundant growths now. And there's less sprite dragons in the Grixis list, but other than that, I didn't see anything that blew me off the wall or anything like that. Uh, I see a Luris in 16th place. I see a Steel Stompy deck with Hangerback Walker, Stone Cold Serpent, Walking Ballista, and Sideboard Luris. I will spare you all my rant about how Luris doesn't let you cast X spells for greater than two out of your graveyard, even though it's completely nonsensical. They would design a card with that interaction, and they should have caught it before then to pray. Wait, what? With Luris, if you try and cast an X spell out of your graveyard, yeah, you cannot cast it for X greater than two, right? Because if you cast, because then it's a permanent card, then it's a permanent spell of X with a, with converted mana cost two or more. I'll however, you. however, you can put an X spell in your deck, you know, and you can cast it for whatever you want from your hand. So it's not like oh, this like breaks the spirit of the Luris. It just means they didn't cast that. And a lot of people, the first the the thing that happened was that the first week it came out. People in the Vintage Challenge didn't know that. They were just pulling their, they were using their workshops to cast their dead, you know, Stonefoil Serpents. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, you weren't supposed to be able to do that to all these people who had just played us in like the top 16 of a Vintage Challenge. You know, I just hate that. I hate when they do that stuff and that kind of stuff happens. To me, that's just like, they're not paying attention. They're not careful. I'm not saying that I care whether or not it works that way, but my, my problem is that it's so um, unintuitive and like good players, like Rich, didn't under, didn't catch it that they were doing something illegal. You know? Oh wait, they didn't realize it was illegal. See, I missed this part about it. Yeah, they didn't realize it was illegal until after the fact. It's in the rulings. Oh, dude, they but, should have known it was illegal. Like I, I always thought that it worked the way that it does. Like I, I never thought that it could have worked a different way. Right? But they didn't code it that way in Magic Online or I, Arena. Yeah, I didn't know that. Interesting. And the fact that, and it's it's very subtle. Like once I really, well, it's like I looked at it and I didn't read the ruling. And then someone said, "This how it works." I looked at it. And I was like, "Oh, I kind of see that now." And then I saw how many people were just like, "Oh, geez, like I did that like a bunch of times in the online pre-release or or in like brawl or whatever on arena." And then and then it happened the village times. It was like, "Look, I don't care that I don't I don't care that it's the right ruling." It's it's the technically right ruling, but it should not have gotten that far. Someone along the line should have been like, hey, you know, this is a really stupid way to do this because people are going to not realize it. If there was paper magic, I had like a 20-minute rant on this on the other on my podcast. I guess you didn't listen. <laughs> well, I'm so behind, bro. I did listen to uh, one episode this week, but it was like two weeks old. That's fine. I'm just goofing with you. Um, I listened to both your episodes like in the last two days too, so – the last few you did, like I'm like you, I'm behind. But anyway, no, I just I just find that kind of that kind of like it feels like you get rules lawyered by your own card, and I hate that. You know, yeah. I I yeah. don't I still don't understand, bro. As soon as I think I understand what you're saying, I lose it. But I feel like Tom is is squeezing something very hard right now, so I think we should probably move on from this conversation. No, I mean like the the interactions with X spells in that card are definitely different and it was just sort of too new 
for people to understand how it works. I think, uh, I can't remember if it was a week or two ago, where we were talking about when I was judging how for the complicated interactions, I just memorized the problem cards. Right, yeah. Like, talking about humility and things like that. This is going to be one of those rulings that, like, people memorize because it's specific to this card. It's just too early for people to have that down yet. So. And there was no judge in any magic anyone played. That's right. It's not. It was. But they they yeah. could have coded it in their own software. But they Absolutely didn't would it. have thought. Yeah. If if the client let you do it, that's the way it should have been. Not only that, it's like I, my, that. My 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 thing is always that they just didn't think about it because if they had thought about it, they would have in the QA process for both of their digital platforms said, "Hey, can you just double check and make sure this ruling applies?" And the fact that they didn't do that. They really didn't think about it, which means that this card could have come to print with either like reminder text on it about X spells or with some other phrasing that allowed you to cast X spells for whatever you want, which would have been yep. both preferable to having this ruling that just sucks. Well, I don't think you I should agree. be able to cast X spells for whatever you want, though. Maybe that's just because I'm taking in my own original understanding of the card into this. But it, it to me, it always seemed like it should work the way it does work now. Well, it, it's it's that you can cast it. Like if you couldn't cast them for X equals whatever from your hand, I don't. Or if there was like a reason you couldn't put them in your deck, that I would understand, right? Then but would... so fire fireball when it's in your hand, it's converted mana cost is one, right? Right. The X spells converted mana cost is zero. They are fine to be in your deck, right? Right. It doesn't say anything about casting permanence with converted mana cost more than two, so it makes sense to me that you should be able to dump an expel from your hand that uh, that's greater than two. Yeah. But, but why create the, the, the conflict with the graveyard? Like, I, I want to hear, the thing that's bothering me, I want to hear a good design reason or gameplay reason for that. Do you know what I mean? I can't yep. think of a, good, of a good one. It's like, because on top of that, if you look at that, you're like, well, that's broken. Like, that's the most broken thing about this card. <laughs> well, that, <laughs> you know yeah, that's, I mean? like, that's, yeah. So my point is just like they could have like there's there's plenty of of phrases of it. Like think about Croxa, right? How many times did you guys read Croxa oh, to figure out how it worked, right? It's like it's not like they're averse to like you know screwing with their wordings to make sure they absolutely get it right, right? Actually, Cycle or discard, but like this guy didn't pay attention and they didn't so look at it when it was reviewing Croxa when you were trying to read that card. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, we want to get it right. We want to get it right, but it's like this is just like a, a time, a, a, a landmine that you won't get right. Sorry, I didn't mean to do Can that. Can you explain Croxa for me right now? Uh, if you discard a land card or don't discard a card at all, you lose three life. Ah. Uh, that's that's what it's supposed to do, right? Yeah. I think that's actually cheap, uh, a cleaner phrasing that they could have put on the card too. Yeah, I'm hoping you're struggling with it again. Because <laughs> the way they worded it no, is... No, because I just, I just put it in my recording deck. Yeah, no, I know. My legacy book burning deck has Croxa. It's like the best card in it. <laughs> I'm so surprised maybe... I didn't see any Croxas with the Lurises. I, I really thought that was going to stick around a little bit. But, yeah, it is what it is. So, yeah, the, the rest of the decks in the challenge, honestly, are what we expected, I think. You know, we saw 23 and 24 companions, respectively, in the challenges this week. And, you know, that's... Uh, it, it still remains to be seen. One thing I will say is the lands decks did not have companions this week. No Gigantha or whatever. 
No Gigantha, no Luris even in the lands decks. So that's a departure from last week, which actually gives me a little bit of hope that we will just see Luris and possibly Gyruda get hit. Yep. And not... Dude, okay, small rant. The fucking names of these companions, right? <laughs> have you seen the Japanese versions of them that have different names? Oh, God, no. Wait, the, the Japanese ones or like the special edition? The spe- Sorry, the special edition ones. No. You didn't so, see like, that? They, they, okay. Wait, Baby you, Godzilla, you need, is that what we're talking about? You want to have another rant? No, it's, yeah. So there's like a special edition of like Sprite Dragon that is functionally the same as Sprite Dragon, only it has a different name. So there are certain cards that got different artwork with different names at the top. No. But then like a, a little subtitle that says what their name is. Their no. legal name. So Durai the Perfect Pet, or Durat the Perfect Pet, and then it says like Sprite Dragon underneath it, and it's just a Sprite Dragon. Oh, fuck me, dude. I'm surprised you didn't already go off on this. Joe did a whole article on it. You guys had Joe on the show. So there's this thing where, like, until I see it across the table from me, I'm not really listening. Like, I I knew that there was some sort of problem because I saw a card called Baby Godzilla. So I knew that there was something wrong, but I wasn't quite aware of the scope of the problem. Do you want to look up the cards now so we can we can pause and you can have another rant? No. Because this is really what people want to hear. I have a rant already that it, I feel is worthy of, of a rant. But the, so the trinomes or whatever they're called, the, the, the new lands, the cycling tri-lands, yep. they all look exactly the fucking same. Like I've drafted, I've drafted them probably at least three times each, probably five times each at this point. And they have names like Zagrantha and Ragrutha, like just complete fucking nonsense wor- vowel soup. Like it's not even close to there's no <laughs> ever have pronounced one of these cards. Then the pictures are literally like just different different cropping of the same bland ass brownish image. The frame has no coloring to it. So there's no way to know which one is which without reading all the different land types on the card and then translating that into your head into like what color pairs that might be. They are the the worst naming of anything. Like this whole set, the the lore around it, like in Tarkir, the cons, the the whatever they're called, the wedges. Yep. They had their name and their name was like repeated on every fucking card. So you knew Abzan. Like finally it got drilled into your head, like this is okay. This is Abzan, right? These fucking color pairs. There's no continuity to the naming uh, at all, and the pictures on the fucking lands do help you zero, literal zero. And then the names of the fucking companions are just more nonsense. So like, there's no there's no fucking way to know. Like Gyruda, Gyruda, Jadura, Zerda, Zidra. Like you know, there's no way to know this shit. Other than just interacting with the card that many times, uh, I actually just just uh, did a quick search. There are twelve cards that include the name Abzan, and that does include a whole block, right? And there are three cards that include the name Zagoth, which is the bug wedge. There's like one other Zagoth card that isn't either the mana fixing artifact or mana fixing land, and it's the Zagoth Mamba. It's literally a black Mamba. It's like one black for a snake. Yeah. 
Like that that was that was that was topical. That was a nice nod by them. I wonder if they did that on purpose. Like let's put a black mamba on the set. Um because of Kobe, but they probably didn't do that. No. Either way. Either way, like no, I agree. Like they're just like whatever, you know. The, the names on those lands are just such fucking nonsense, dude. They're not it's not just that they're nonsense. It's like the the the, the, the art is nondescript and like now are we supposed to call this wedge Ketria now instead of Right, dude. Why couldn't they have just called it the same thing they called it on cons? Like, why can't you do that? I mean, I know why they can't do it, but like, they don't call things Jund anymore either, you know. But I don't know. It's like a mouthful, and it's just kind of. It, it, it's like it's weird because it should be like uh, flavorful, but there's only two Ketrias in the whole set. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. If you're only going to do it in two places and there's going to be no lore behind this whole fucking thing, it's just like a complete throwaway single set that exists and no context, just blank space. And I don't even know the fucking Planeswalkers or whatever. Like, just call it just call it a name that makes sense, you know? Give it some art that actually looks like the thing is supposed to be. I don't know, man. All right, that was a good rant. I liked it. But no, the baby Godzilla... The, that that fucking rant, well, I guess we'll save for another time because those cards don't exist on Moto, right? Uh, they do exist on Moto. <sighs> yeah, because sometimes Joe will post a screenshot of that Garuda deck because he loves it so much, and I like, and I'm like, wait, what the hell is the uh, like Cyber Claw or whatever it is? <laughs> wait, wait, hold on, Garuda. <laughs> um, shit. Can't reach my keyboard. The Gyruda, uh thing is—it is Cyberclaw. It's Gigan Cyberclaw Terror. Like it's metal <laughs> when it's when it's not the actual one from Ikoria. But wait, what so, the fuck? I haven't—I've opened so many packs, I've never seen one of these. I have no idea what. The, I don't know, man. Maybe they're only in treasure chests online. I guess so, man. Well, that's fucking terrible. Oh, maybe these were only in treasure chests because I remember that he was like, I need a bunch of these, uh, whatever, guy, guy Rudas, and it was just like, whatever you could get, please send me, and he got a bunch of these G-Gons instead because that, because they were in treasure chests before they were in packs. So what's what? the Lur- <laughs> what's the Luris called? Luris doesn't have a, a, a backup or whatever. A, uh, there's only a few of them. Like, Sprite Dragon isn't part of the companion cycle, but it's part of this other cycle of alternate cards. And I couldn't tell you another one. There's, like, a Godzilla <laughs> or something. There's, like, two Godzillas. Well, there's like, Baby God. I know Baby Godzilla is for sure a card. Yeah, there's the Baby Godzilla. Yeah, I just, I just like, I just Scryfalled Godzilla, and there's seven things came up. And they're not, but it's, like, they're not, it's not the same. They're not, they're not tied to a cycle in the like to a gameplay cycle, like how yeah, the companions are all like different color pairs, and then there's like a bunch of different mutate big guys and stuff. Yeah. Like there's some of them are the companions, some of them are the mutate big guys, some of them are the are just sprite dragon, which is uncommon, and uh, some of them are these cycling these cycling dudes that put counters death touch counters on people. That's Space Godzilla. Oh man. All right. Well, in the <laughs> words of the screaming trees, I nearly lost you there, so. I'm not even sure what we're talking about anymore. Yep. I'm right. going I'm gonna wrap this up. You guys good? Yeah. Yeah, I'm good. All right. Nate, 
Thank you so much for joining us tonight. If people want to find you and your your lovely podcast. So, yeah, yep, we're good. Anchor.fm slash Eternal Dirtles, uh, Eternal Dirtles on Twitter. And you can find me at N underscore R underscore G on Twitter. And uh, I really like had fun being on, guys. I, I love it. I love being Bro. on with you guys. I wanted to have you guys on our podcast at some point, too. There's a question, though, that I forgot to ask you. Okay. Is there a silver lining in this DCI number going away bullshit where we're going to get Tusk Talk back now? Oh, because they're going to be, like, mad? No, because wasn't the reason that they they got rid of it because they didn't want to get DCI banned? <laughs> well, I'm sure you can still get banned from competitive magic. But um, maybe we'll see it. I know they, they, they're, they owe someone a podcast because that person – Get or correctly identified every song they had used as an intro going back for their entire podcast. Oh, Jesus. And so about, I want to say about a year ago, maybe a little bit less than a year ago, Sean messaged me and said, what do you use for your podcast? Because we owe this guy a podcast. And I said, I do this. He's like, oh, yeah, that sounds really stupid. I'm not going to do that. I never heard of him again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, it would be yeah. sick, though, if we got another episode. I feel like this is the right time for them to weigh in, right? Yeah, well, if they ever feel like weighing in, but I think that uh, a lot of people, not just not just the Atlanta crew and the Southeast crew, but you know, I'm sure you know other people who are just sort of happy to be in their own, you know, screwing around with some formats that are experimental and not worried about legacy overall. They're so, in their own uh, triumph, right? I'm sorry. In their own triumph. Their own triumph. Yeah. Good segue. All right, Tom. If people want to find you on Twitter and lament the the loss of your low dci ah t smiley mtg which is now my name parenthesis two five two six four bro if i create an account on arena because i don't have one what if i created one and i made i made my name seven eight five eight five five and then your arena name becomes your new magic account so everybody just makes arena accounts with their, their DCI old dci account. number yeah. i like it fucking do it I already I already have an arena account though. Ah, yep. All right. Ian eighteen one twenty five. at gmail on Twitter. Hi, your boys, and we're out. That's a wrap. Peace.